This podcast episode is sponsored by Away. First class luggage at a coach price. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash G-O-T and use promo code G-O-T during checkout. Today's episode is also sponsored by Mack Weldon. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter promo code G-O-T at checkout. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 8, Episode 2, titled A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. That's with K. Make no mistake. Uh, what did you think of this episode after having seen it another time? I liked it, as is a lot of the case on Game of Thrones episodes. I liked it even more the second time I watched it. Yeah. And I got a chance to really kind of... I knew it was coming, and I can just relax and appreciate the performances rather than think about, oh, God, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? It's 45 minutes, and you got to say something. What are you going to say? Uh, so I thought that... I saw some people saying that this is kind of like a filler episode, but like... Wrong. To, <laughs> to my mind, like 30-plus <laughs> minute CGI action sequences are the filler of this show. I mean, I like that filler. It's good filler. But like, this is the stuff yeah. that makes those scenes... St- different from like when Michael Bay does it in Transformers like they're both 30 minute long CGI battles but no one gives a shit about any of the robots that are dying yeah. uh, or any of the humans for that matter in Transformers whereas damn like uh, if you if you get a chance uh, Florence and Machine recorded um, a version of the Ginny of Old Stones the, the, the credits music it's the same, the same one but HBO turned it into a full blown music video with like scenes from all the different seasons of game of thrones and seeing these characters grow up and it's kind of an emotional experience because you realize you care for all these characters you don't want to see any of them that die and a lot of them are going to die in the next couple episodes so yeah uh and and this this calm before the storm this uh uh, allow the you know us to remember why we love these characters and go kind of on these nostalgia trips with them and then allow these characters who have never interacted before to have extra interactions to try to do one last little bit of lobbying or an emotional appeal or something like that i i thought, I thought it was great yeah i'm with you I, I think on second viewing i i appreciated it even more um some of the moments that hit so hard in the first viewing uh like brand being knighted things like that uh hit twice as hard in the second viewing um Mm. i i i think as like this is sort of exactly what you want before the big battle you want to like you said catch up with all the characters and say here look at this it's crazy to stand back and sort of look at all of these characters who have come from such different places to now be aligned fighting for the same thing and i that's you know the kind of the sentiment that Tyrion's trying to get at when he says i wish our father were here you know Mm. because he could see what the fuck is happening to my family uh that is felt across the board i think with all of these characters from you know characters who i don't care too much about but have some truly excellent scenes in this like tormund uh he came from a place of wanting to kill these northerners right? right and now he's sitting here at the hearth in winterfell ready to fight alongside them uh jamie couldn't be a more stark example of this sort of thing so like seeing all of those pieces you know all of that track that's been laid sort of coming to a head here right before the big battle was probably the most um 
the most nostalgic, the most uh, feel good kind of thing they could have done before the battle. Yeah, I mean, that's not to say that there's not things that I don't think are a little underwritten or are somewhat puzzling or annoying. Like the the whole Bran as bait plot is another one of those things where the show just was like, look, just just go with it, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not something that was like, if you had asked me, name the top 10 goals for the Night King, or the Night King, rather, uh, I would not put killing Brandon Stark in in that top 10. Like, I thought that I'd just, but, but like, the, the reframe that as it's the one singular goal that he's going for, um, I thought was a little bit of a hairpin curve. Uh, and I hmm. thought some of the actually planning, like our there, there's a there's a lot of intentional mystery to what's going on with the plan. You know, we see that it's going to involve like these impressive defensive works. Apparently, there's going to be a trench of fire. Uh, there's going to be Dan and uh, Danny and and John in some kind of standoff position, trying to like do Overwatch over the Night King. Like, but it, it's it's a, and I hope that that's going to fall. Out, that's going to play out kind of like Ocean's, you know, Eleven does, where it's like you see the plan, but you don't know all the plan, and that's intentional. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes that can go really, really well, like in Ocean's Eleven, and sometimes it can go bad when, like in The Walking Dead, was classic about this, where yeah. you, you know guys were moving and they were shooting, but what the fuck are they doing? What is the goal? What's the opposition? What like you're kind of left confused, and and uh, I have I do have a lot of faith that. Uh, if there's one thing that Game of Thrones has to do is to shoot like clear, straightforward action scenes, uh, and they got some of the best in the business doing it. So, mm-hmm. uh, but that's the, the I goes those are the one things I'm. Are you not feeling me at all on the brand as bait thing? No, I I guess it makes a certain amount of sense. Like they've been sort of hinting around the edges at some purpose of the Night King. Yeah. Like what? Is, so so if the whole intent is simply to kill Bran and destroy you know the realm of men, uh bring upon an endless night why all the baby stuff why all the crafters keep negotiation sort of thing with humans like what is all this extra stuff about so so it leads me to believe that maybe brand could be mistaken on his assessment of the night king but he did i guess that's the thing because like he says something like they tried this before with many other three-eyed crows and i'm like Okay, this is all new information to me. I would love to know more, but everyone at the war council just like, yeah. all right, well, you're bait. That's all there is to it. Uh, Theon, we can have you guarding your your twenty best guys. All right, we're done. Like, I wish there was. I wish someone would like say, what the fuck is going on? Can you tell us a little bit more about? This 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 arcane knowledge you're getting this stuff from, and there's a little bit of that. Like Tyrion sits down yeah. with Bran, and like I want to hear your whole fucking story, but that happens off camera. Yeah, I really wanted to see that story, if not just for the reaction yeah. of Tyrion. Yeah, but it's like that. It's like it's 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 it'd be one thing if I felt like everyone at that table knew what the hell was going on, and they were they were going with a plot that I just you know I came at the end of the War Council, so I'm just not privy to it. But like I didn't get that impression. It's more like. Oh, Bran's dropping a lot of new information. He explains some stuff like, oh, I don't know if Dragonfire will work because no one's tried it before. But other stuff mm-hmm. he just asserts. And I don't know what I'm what I'm asking for, I guess, like for somebody at the table to act like that's some new and exciting and thought provoking. And well, they've already kind of trained us to just go with Bran, right? Like, yeah, but like Danny doesn't later when she finds out that John's got a claim to the throne. The first thing is, oh, your brother's making mm-hmm. shit up from his uh, weird like, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> Because it's more, uh, it's more personally relevant to her, I think. I, I like, guess. 10,000 dead men coming to kill me is fairly personally, personally revel- relevant, but... Yeah. But anyway, this, I, this asserts, you know, this kind of 
come straight at her primary goal right. in, but, but in this life. Is the, this is the classic trap I always fall into. Like I like ninety percent of this episode, and I've spent at least fifty yeah. percent of my time in the pre in the uh, just what do we think about it section, talking about the one or two things I didn't like. So mm-hmm. I am ready to move on, unless unless you you want to. Okay, I did want to point out just how much of a test Danny is being put to here uh-huh. um, from all sides, right? I mean, she's she lost one of her dragons. She feels her power waning. Her best advisor is giving her shit advice half the right. time, most of the time. Uh, you, you've got the, the fucking Kingslayer, her essentially arch nemesis wandering right in, and her supposed allies like taking his side on this mm-hmm. whole matter. You've got just everything stacking up against her and and with the final cherry on top of john saying actually you're not the queen i'm Mm -hmm. i'm the queen Mm -hmm. uh that's a little uh a a big test for her and i think it's it's nice to stand back and appreciate the kind of pressure she's under here Mm -hmm. uh as we go into you know what i assume is going to be some kind of resolution to this predicament with the the king or queenship that they're in right uh so maybe it's time to get into the episode what do you think? Let's do it. Before we get to the recap, we are so excited about Game of Thrones that we decided to celebrate by having a 25% off sale on club memberships for Bald Move. And if you go to club.baldmove.com, you can get all the details. But right now, all new and renewing memberships are 25% off if you go to club.baldmove.com. The club is a great way to get bonus features, uh, including video versions for podcasts, which is the quickest way uh, to to get access to our podcasts. In fact, uh, because of our recording schedule, a lot of times we record the Instant Take podcast uh, late Thursday afternoon, but don't get it out until Friday morning. So you can a lot of times get that a day in advance if you're a club member, as well as access to other uh, bonus audio and video features and ad free feeds. So you never have to listen to me hawk uh, another product or even the club again. Uh, go to club.ballmove.com again to receive 25% off all new and renewing memberships. Also, we got a pretty cool bald movie coming up this uh, week. Uh, a little movie called The Avengers Endgame. Uh, I don't know if you haven't. If, 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 actually, all jokes aside, if you haven't got tickets for opening weekend and you're anything like the city yeah. we live in, good luck. You can't get them. Uh, but uh, we're gonna have our review out uh, as early as we can get on Friday. Uh, for Avengers Endgame. Also, the Super Serious Film Fest Fantasy rolls on our celebration uh, during the season of Game of Thrones to all the good, the bad, the cheesy fantasy films of the 80s, 90s, 70s, aughts uh, that have come before. This one is a fun one, Army of Darkness. We have a live watch where we watch the film and kind of make fun of it and talk about our experiences with it for the club members, and everyone can enjoy the accompanying video and podcast that releases on Wednesday. Don't forget that I wrote two books about Game of Thrones religion and culture, um, and it's kind of like in a tongue-of-cheek, faux-academic, funny uh, tone. It is Gods of Thrones, and you can go to godsofthrones.com to get either volume off of Amazon in either Dead Tree or ebook formats, as well as get access to some great-looking merch. And finally, uh, pin-y.com is where you want to go if you want to flex on all the haters of the King of the North and you want to show your affiliation with House Snow, we've got our exclusive House Snow logo uh, and enamel pin at pin-y.com. Uh, I've got mine. You need to get yours. And then uh, finally, finally, uh, Cecily and I are going to be playing twitch.tv uh, slash bald move. We're going to be playing a Mario game this Wednesday night. Will it be Mario Kart? Will it be Super Mario World 3D? I don't even know. Uh <laughs> 
tune in uh, at 8 p.m. approximately Eastern Standard Time at twitch.tv slash baldmove to watch all that video game throwdown. Okay, we start off with Jamie uh, being accepted at Winterfell by the skin of his teeth, thanks to Brienne vouching for him. Uh, there, you know, there's a whole lot of talk about Jamie having killed uh, Danny's father, and you know the stories that her and her brother would trade about what they're going to do to him when they finally catch him. And now here he is. Uh, unfortunately, like I said, Danny does not Danny's allies do not have her back in this I want to kill Jamie thing I thought it was curious how Jamie you try to do this whole like what's war man what are you going to do and I'm like ah you're reframing Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of what happened as legitimate warfare when you essentially ran a borderline coup of the Baratheon regime man Mm -hmm. you personally Mm -hmm. Like, it wasn't war when you were putting your kids on in line for the throne. It wasn't war when Ned found out about the treachery. And it wasn't war when you tried to butcher him in the streets with all of his men. Like, that's just insurrection. Um, but I, I thought it's so... And it, I don't know, because I can never tell what the writing on this show. Um, I used to be confident that when things were said and done that I was intended to feel a certain way. But, like, this might have just been you know, Jamie getting his dander, but I felt like it betrayed a lack of real awareness of what he had done. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I felt like I'm, I felt like that's the, the writing kind of bared out there because Bran at the end of Jamie's like, uh, trying to use war as a cloak to cover all of his bad behavior, just said the things we do for love, which brought him up short. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, Oh, were we at war when you threw me out the fucking window? You asshole. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what, you know, I'm, 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 I'm on, I kind of got my, 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 Finger licked and to the wind trying to figure out whether Jamie is going to have like a redemption arc that ends up with him surviving or a redemption arc that ends up with him dying screaming mm-hmm. or just him being a shit to his grave. And I, I, I don't know. I, I don't, don't think know. the shit to the, to the grave is much of an option at this point. Yeah, I mean, he I mean, Jamie's turned. Yeah, he's turned his back on everything that used to be old Jamie. Uh, and now he's on the side of good. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Danny's pointed warden of the north? Yeah. Uh, uh so he's poli- like politically that's uh it that's seems like they strong. had sorted everything out right Lil, you'll be the nor- warden of the north this will uh-huh. be the lady of winterfell i'll be the queen uh-huh. we got this which is all thrown back into chaos at the end of this episode right or or it's not even sorted because like when she says it she's yeah. assuming things that john knows aren't true because john like he got a reaction with john and sansa and then john and sansa yeah. are both pretty pretty hasty to beat a retreat from her presence and yeah. uh john doing the avoidance thing just like sam was right with exactly him. exactly uh so yeah i thought that was pretty nice uh i i do want to know what brand's problem is though like first he he His legs don't work jim he, come he on points out oh uh the things we do for love right here he throws that in jamie's face about pushing him out the window uh and then later in the godswood he's like eh, yeah i don't really care actually it was a good thing it made you who you are now it made me the three-eyed raven it's kind of awesome that you pushed me out the window mm-hmm. take pick a fucking side on this man that's you, where you it, can't throw it in his face one moment and then the next moment say thanks for that that's where i feel like my confusion is coming from because i think you're supposed to understand that tension and that's brand like like brand's maneuvering things to get the outcome he wants and if jamie pushes this well we're at war line too hard yeah he gets so, so brand's reminding him like nah and that you, you need to be a little bit more humble mm-hmm. um so and like you know i i wonder if jamie's going to be more pivotal than we think because brand's spending a lot of his own personal capital 
um, to the extent he cares about anything, it seems like, uh, trying to get Jamie restored in this position. Well, not restored, uh, put to this position as a defender of the North. Um, yeah, I and I can't tell if that's simply like we need every person we can get here fighting for us, mm-hmm. or if that's more like I understand the purpose of Jamie and it's important and we need him. Yeah, I I have... I, I'm still... I know that Bran... Like I said, I feel like this episode let us know that Bran is not omniscient because he doesn't know whether Dragonfire will stop the Night King. If he was omniscient, he would obviously know that since that's mm-hmm. what omniscient means. You know everything. Um, but can he... To what extent can he foretell the future? Does he just know the past so accurately that he's just much better predicting and simulating what would happen mm-hmm. when you have little diff- pieces that are come in and interplay? Or is it... I, I, I don't know. Because he could very well have a lot of precognition and dreams. Well, I mean, we know he has dreams that come true. Him and Jojen both. Yeah. So, but, but how does that work? Is it something that gives him like, is it like a plan uh, that's handed down? And then if he can get the people to, or is it like, uh, this is fate, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it seems like it has to be the former because if it's the latter, like no matter what you do, it's going to catch up to you. Yeah, it would seem. Uh, also, I liked one quick moment when Grey Worm hands the sword back. He mean mugs, Jamie. Yeah, saying don't get out of line. Don't you maybe know? take. I'm, this I'm from looking you. for an excuse to kill you. Don't so. maybe take this from you one hand. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. So then, uh, Danny in the halls threatens to replace Tyrion as the hand of the queen for not realizing that his sister was lying to them, uh, which is fair. And Tyrion basically says to Jorah and Varys, "One of you is going to have this hand to the queen pin because I'm not long for this job." Yeah, yeah, and I I think that I don't know they're. Tyrion should have probably seen this coming. He was like Danny is entirely accurate. He was hornswoggled into like uh, believing that the pregnancy had had her changing a heart and turning over a new leaf and all that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't know why that the show is because like he's had a lot of failures. Like this is like his third or fourth one since the late stages of season six. Like I think the yeah. last thing he did correctly was free the dragons okay. from the crypts of Marine or whatever. And then pretty much everything since then has been either advice that Danny took and it's led to Cersei still being on Iron Throne, so it could be considered as bad advice or just outright bad advice. You mm-hmm. told us to go here, and we got hit here, and you told us to do this, and we got hit that. Yeah, uh, the Casterly Rock blunder right. is like the standout one for right, me. Right, right. So I think, I, I don't know why they have to really, to me, it's going beyond like, oh, Tyrion need to be humbled. He need to learn about, you know, you can't just go around drinking wine and knowing things you have. I, I, I wish... I don't know why they have the need to like really, really beat on Tyrion's. Uh, because he's gonna have expertise. he's gonna have a heroic about face. I mean, that's that's the only narratively satisfying thing to happen here. Right. Is that he you know saves the day somehow? But I mean, like, what if with he, his mind? What if he just actually gave Danny good advice and up until uh, Danny or uh, Cersei betrayed him, and then mm-hmm. it's like it's, everything that Danny still says, like, oh, you got a blind spot for your family now. You want me to trust your brother and all? Like, it's still a pretty crucial big fail in in your chief like diplomat and advisor, right? Like, why do we need all the other bungles and stumbles and and whatnot? Um. I guess I would say maybe they're trying to show a larger pattern here. You know, it's not just as relates his family necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, well, I mean, the Casterly Rock thing is definitely a family matter, right? Mm-hmm. Like he thought that so much of the Lannister pride was tied up in this land that he would, they would defend it to the death. Um, 
and turns out they didn't probably didn't know that the gold was all gone too yeah yeah um for sure but i i don't know i think they're trying to paint a larger picture of Tyrion fucking up not just as it relates to his you know sister yeah and i guess if it was just a momentary failure it seemed like danny was being pretty dramatic if she's like oh fuck you and and the... that he could so easily just come back the next episode with another big yeah. heroic thing yeah. right like here it's it's sort of a bigger hill for him to climb yeah to prove that he's actually still got it yeah it's definitely a balancing act and uh you can make an argument that they went to one side or the other but uh you could probably sure. also make the argument they're walking right down the middle yeah all right, so we go to Arya pestering Gendry about making her weapon while also flirting a little bit and questioning him about what the armies of the dead are like. She's quite eager to see the face of death that she's not familiar with yet. This dragonglass is a lot stronger than I would give it give it credit for. Gendry makes it that way. Gendry, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, Gendry Forge dragonglass is the gold standard. Yeah. Kinda... I find it a little insulting that Arya calls him a uh, blacksmith's apprentice here. Yeah. Like, come on, at this point. Do you see a, a headsmith? Yeah. In, Where's in the guy telling me what to do now? I'm the fucking blacksmith. Right. Get okay, it right. Okay, uh, assassin in training. <laughs> right. <laughs> Where's Jackin, huh? Is he behind that pillar there? Right, I know right. he's with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's, insulting. That's, that's our, the Arya version of pi- uh, pulling his pigtails. That's fair. But uh, her speech about she can't wait to meet death. I'm... Mm. Mm. Yeah, I don't like it when characters. I really like bait fate that 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 hard. I can't wait to meet death. Yeah, no, it's it's doesn't oh, bode geez, well for Arya. her. Oh, geez. <laughs> Plus, you're doing that that doomed teenager thing of of having sex outside mm-hmm. of marriage. I've seen Friday the Thirteenth. I've yep. seen a Nightmare on Elm Street. I know where that path leads when you're dealing with demonic, uncanny forces. They're going to tear you. They're going to eat you alive. You're only you're mm-hmm. only. I mean, I watched the was it Cabin in the Woods. I sure there are like a couple of those, yeah. Your, your armor was your virginity, Ari, and you just flung it away, mm-hmm. going into battle naked. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I really love. It. It, she's not going in totally naked. She's got her skills on her side, yeah, which her she literal puts armor on display here, and, and physical combat skills. Yes. Yeah, I mean the the <laughs> dagger throwing here is excellent, and I mm-hmm. love the guy in the background who first dagger he turns around surprised what. Second mm. dagger, he runs the fuck out of there. Yeah, there's someone throwing <laughs> daggers at me. Shit. Yeah. And they're just barely missing. Oh, right. God. What if one of you shatters? I'm not wearing eye protection. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so then we go to the Godswood where Jamie apologizes to Bran for pushing him out the window. And Bran says, it's all good because it made me the three-eyed raven. And, you know, it also made you a better man. So I think Bran has sort of transcended anger here. Human anger. And he said, like, you know, he you won't be able to help, implying he has some role to play if you were murdered before you even got a chance. Yeah. I really liked how they had Jamie portrayed as being very uncomfortable just entering the godswood. Mm-hmm. Like he uh feels like he like like he was giving a performance like he's cold, he's unnerved by the sounds he's hearing, and like they really ramp up the cawing of crows when in, a, in, a, in when anytime Bran is in a in a scene um like you know because this is like the inner sanctum of the starks yeah uh it's a holy place it is it is for a or for a man that doesn't really have a lot of faith uh jamie like i it's and and here you got like a i mean a demigod i don't that's what, what you at least brand has achieved that status at this point uh and i just loved how just a little stuff like uh it's not the accustomed jamie lannister swagger we see he's mm-hmm. he's he's nervous and he's he's uh like moses taking a stainless off and trembling there on that holy ground yeah i mean i think that's been you know jamie's arc has been one of being humbled many times over um assessing the man he used to be and realizing 
he doesn't agree with a lot of stuff he used to think. Uh, so yeah, when he when he approaches Bran, he's not the same man who pushed him out the window, not even close. Mm-hmm. And Bran points that out. I liked it. Uh, there's uh, he asked Jamie if he how does he know there's going to be an afterwards? Is that just a question? Like, I do, are you? I, I think or? it could just be a question. Yeah, yeah, because like it's like uh. It's almost borderline out of character for Bran to, I guess. I mean, I, although I don't know, like the the old Three Eyed cra- uh, Raven was pretty quippy and pretty astute, and is like he wasn't as flat in his affect as Bran. Maybe that's because mm-hmm. he had a lot longer time as a man before he became the Three Eyed Raven, or maybe it's because you just have a time to kind of like let that mantle get comfortable with the weight of it being on you. Um, but I felt like it was almost it was oddly informal. Or, or kind of like joking um, for, for Bran's demeanor. Maybe he's getting better. <laughs> better. <laughs> better. <laughs> Gotta get worse before you can get better, Bran. All right, Tyrion tells Jamie that Danny is a better person than her ancestors were and sort of owns up to his own mistakes. Then they chat about Cersei for a while and, you know, Tyrion asks if the baby's real and Jamie says it is. I don't buy it, Jamie. Uh, until Jamie spots Brienne and then... We we have a scene where he goes out and basically pledges himself to uh, fight under her command. A, a nice moment. Yeah, in the background... The brand doesn't quite know how to take, right? Right. Uh, in the background, they're making these, like, old World War II anti-tank hedgehog-looking things out of wood. They're like, you know, jacks. And yeah, yeah. I noticed uh, the second time I watched it, they're actually embedding bits of dragon glass at the extremities. And yeah. with the idea that... As these zombies try to push past this, they're going to get nicked and, I don't know, explode into zombie dust. They should. Yeah. You would think so. We're hoping so. I think uh, it's a good strategy. Yeah, no. It does seem like there's going to be a lot of Home Alone-style hijinks for the, the armies of the dead. <laughs> uh, next. There's going to be paint cans. Mm-hmm. There's going to be bricks. Hot doorknobs. Hot doorknobs. Oh, yeah. uh, Christmas ornaments made out of dragon glass from hell to breakfast. <laughs> oh, imagine stepping on dragon glass if you're <sighs> white. Oof. Oof. I probably heard it almost no. as much as a Lego. Uh, I liked the idea. I, I thought I really liked how they played Tyrion as like this like smile on his face as he thinks about being a zombie ripping Cersei apart. I mm-hmm. thought that was pretty good. Yeah. Um. And in the background, you you pointed out how they're you know attaching dragon glass and stuff to these mm-hmm. these jacks or whatever you call them. Um. So when we watched the trailer, I assumed that some of the footage was from uh, another battle that did not happen at uh, Winterfell, and it was based largely on the shape of those uh, i guess they're called merlins on the battlements that's the the solid part you know how they have the, kind of the sawtooth shape mm-hmm. solid parts called a merlin i guess oh. i looked it up um and it was that part that was giving me the impression that they weren't in winterfell but it turns out actually they are so hmm. i think everything from the trailer um eh, probably probably not every single second of footage but the vast majority of it has already taken place or is going to take place next episode. I'm still ain't backing down from my prediction that they snuck in some Battle of King's Landing footage in there. You think so? Yeah. Because I still can't, like, the, the one thing I hang my hat on is, like, there's John, he's leading a small detachment of men, and they're rushing towards a gate. Like, why would he be rushing towards a locked gate at Winterfell? Maybe it's that they've locked, like, maybe they've... Uh, maybe he's got to hold the door. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. We'll see. I mean, I'm, I I don't have any personal stakes. I could give a shit one way or another. As mm-hmm. long as it's awesome, uh, yeah, I'm yeah. cool with it. But For sure. But that's, you know, I I was assuming that there had to be a secondary battle somewhere, and the most logical place was King's Landing, but I don't right. know that that's actually true now. So, we'll see. Um, there, There's this moment that I really love between Tyrion and Jamie where they're talking about Cersei and... Uh, 
Jamie says, oh, she fooled me for a really long time or whatever, for far longer than you, and, and Tyrion turns around. She never fooled you. You knew exactly who she was, and you loved her anyway, which is like this moment of telling him you are more like Cersei than you thought, mm-hmm. um, or certainly were more like her. You were also unwilling to sort of stand up and defend me when I needed you to mm-hmm. from this horrible woman who was torturing me my whole life. Right. Uh, and that really hurt me. And I think like that, it, there's so much embedded in that one statement that I really enjoyed on second watch. Sure. Uh, so then we go over to, well, it, uh, we, we've kind of already talked about this, but I really love Pod teaching someone how to fight now because if you want an example of how far someone has come and, and Jamie even says it, that you just look no further than Pod. Yeah, and like Brian's obvious satisfaction at his competence, and that plays in later to the fire ch- the fireside chat that we're going to get to later in the episode. Yeah, uh, and then we go over to Jorah asking Danny for two things that he thinks will benefit her. First, she forgive Tyrion for his mistakes, and second, uh, it's implied she goes and makes peace with Sansa. He tries. Uh, I don't think yeah, she yeah. succeeds. No, she does not. Okay. But that's what Jorah wants. Gotcha. Is that gotcha. she goes and does this because the realm needs it. Um. Yeah. No. I mean, you know, it's interesting because Jorah is the right person to bring this message to her because he is in the exact position that some of these people are in, where mm-hmm. you know he sided against uh Danny, and then before he knew who Danny was, and then. You know, he had to pay a price for that, and, and he successfully is able to work his way back into her good graces. So, like, if there's... And also, he's an honest broker, because as he points out, he has every reason to hate Tyrion. Exactly. Um, and to undermine him. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, I don't know. I, th- I feel like... Um, I feel like Tyrion's willingness to surrender his office to the other advisors, like, it's, hey, guys, I, you might be having this before too long, kind of impressed him. And I think also yeah. uh, Jorah sees that he is he is smart and mm-hmm. and and you know it's one thing to make mistakes it's another to learn from them so yeah that's the most important thing he does learn from his mistakes um, as evidenced in the previous scene where he's talking to Jamie you know he owns up to them he doesn't say oh well there were circumstances around them and you know how could I have known no he says I, I fucked up right I, I underestimated my opponent yep uh, yeah so it, it's it's really good too it serves as sort of a contrast between. You know, Jorah, who, like you said, has every reason to want Tyrion out of the way and just to tell Danny what he wants her to think. Whereas later in the episode, that's exactly what she accuses Sam uh, and Bran of doing with mm-hmm. John. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, it's a pretty nice counterpoint to that, I think. Have we talked? Are, are we actually talking about San, Sansa and Danny's conference? Uh, yeah, let's let's go to that. So Danny sits down with Sansa to try to come to an understanding. And Sansa's worried that John's being manipulated by Danny because he loves her. Danny says, eh, it's actually kind of exactly the opposite if you think about it. Um, she <laughs> loves and trusts him just as much. Tries the General Kenobi on her. Uh huh. I think it works. It worked. Uh, then things seem to be going well until Sansa presses Danny on her plans for the North after the war is over. And she is unable to come up with any answer. And she's luckily bailed out. Yeah, I mean, so just on script, the rhythm of this thing seems like it's, uh, you know, one step forward, two steps back, one step mm-hmm. forward, two steps back. But then if you add Amelia Clark's performance on top of it, where she's playing Danny like she's constantly choking back on either her pride or her fury. Yeah. Um, because every single time Sansa throws something in her face like, uh, yeah, you know, Tyrion shouldn't have trusted Cersei. You shouldn't have trusted Cersei. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like Jorah's back there. You know, behind her saying, don't get mad, Danny. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> you gotta, 
Stay calm. He's like, he's like, uh, what's the guy in, in Rocky's corner? Yeah, Mickey. Mickey. Sure. Get up, you son you of got, a bitch. You gotta stay calm, Danny. You can't, you can't, you can't take the bait. Uh, I, exactly. I, I think, um, I don't know. Like, I don't know why Danny doesn't have a response to this. Like, uh, it's because Sansa's right on. Like, we fought for our independence because this thing all went bad and we won it again. Are you going to conquer us? Like, what do you mean to do? I think it's a tough question for Danny to answer because her goal, her entire life, has been take this fucking throne. Right. And that has always kind of implied take the throne and rule the seven kingdoms, right? I not, wonder, not rule the six kingdoms minus the north. Yeah, I wonder if uh, the other thing that might happen is, because I've been talking like this, you know, proto-democracy, uh, with this title, Knight of the Seven Kingdoms, you're just emphasizing the seven kingdoms. Do you think another way to kind of give the small folk a better life, better representation is to go back to the seven kingdoms? Now, like, hmm. the maester said that the time of the seven kingdoms was near constant warfare and fighting and struggling and mm. and and turf wars and uh you know things were were not like all roses when everybody had their own but i wonder i don't know after 300 years of being unified maybe i don't know i don't know how that works yeah i think there's probably a piece that would come about temporarily after everybody said look we banded together we did this amazing thing we're all going to kind of rule ourselves for a while there will be peace in the land but as you see with even the Night's Watch, like the most important of goals and the best of intentions are forgotten over time. And then you kind of go back to business as usual. And I think, you know, within a couple hundred years, maybe even just a few generations, yeah. people would be fighting and killing each other again over right. rule of the land. Yeah. So, and I thought it was interesting that to the point of Danny constantly being played like she's like really stumbling over pride and choking over anger like when Danny asks or when Sansa asks that like what happens next which is an entirely reasonable question she like removes her hand from saying like she recoils from Sansa's touch like mm -hmm. I think the play to be would be like to squeeze Sansa's hand and be like hey we'll figure all that out afterwards sister <laughs> like but to, to yeah 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 because that like that just tells Sansa like whatever you're imagining it's going to probably be a worse version of that yeah it, it's little finger in her ear you imagine know. the worst thing she could want right and that's assume that's the truth yeah yeah um, it's too bad because it would be a lot of fun watching these two like pal around and just to slay over the seven kingdoms but it doesn't seem like yeah that's that's gonna happen but i don't know like uh danny's got a lot to learn um you know sansa's got a lot more experience dealing with the the politics of the seven kingdoms than danny's got oh yeah but then again you drop sansa into slaver's bay how well would she navigate that world so good question um i i do like that she has been learning by watching you know she mm -hmm. saw her brother uh murdered essentially for love and she realizes oh this manipulation and these poor decisions are, you know, something that men do when they're, you know, they don't have their heads about them, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, and she's learning by looking. And I think, you know, that's what makes a really intelligent character is someone who can grasp the things that are happening around them, understand the patterns and figure out how to use those things like Tyrion does. Right. You know? And which is maybe a, a really great reason for Tyrion and Sansa to end up together. But I don't know. We'll see. Right. Uh, it, Theon might get in the way actually because when he returns from Winterfell mm. uh, or returns to Winterfell to fight for them Sansa gives him a teary-eyed hug as a big thank you 
Uh, and this is a big moment for Theon, I think. He's finally accepted into his family at Winterfell. Right. You know, he, he may he may be an Ironborn, but he's also a Stark. And right. I think, like, he's come to terms with those things. And so Sansa giving him this big hug and sort of saying, welcome to the family, finally, is a big moment for Theon. I thought it's interesting they give Danny a reaction shot here. And her reaction huh. is, like, visible dismay that this is happening. Um, you didn't hmm. get that? Uh, I, I didn't notice it. No. Uh, I'm just wondering why would she feel that well, way? Well, so I don't know because, like, one of the things I've always said about Melia Clark is that I think she's really good at playing, like, charming and funny and amused and powerful and commanding, but she's always, 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 even last season when one of her children died, struggled with the idea of portraying, like, loss and grief. and Like, like I don't... There's, like, suddenly there's no shades to her face. Like, the face that she makes when her brother's grabbing her boob is the same face that she makes when Theon is hugging Sansa like uh that's weird it's, it's a negative emotion she's feeling but I'm not sure what I think hmm. I just feel like it's like uh wait this is my guy uh Yara was my guy and Theon is my guy and now my guy is hugging this other person it's not my girl and it's a hmm. little I I I'm I'm a kind of surprised at how darkly they're painting and and not just dark but kind of just like nakedly selfish that they're they're portraying Danny. Uh, or at least that's the vibes I'm getting from from her in this. Are, are they just trying to say Danny is worried she's losing power here? She's well, see, I thought losing control. The first when I so on, I noticed this when I was watching it for the first time. But I thought it's like, well, maybe they're actually trying to go for that. This is kind of like her kind of slack jaw wonderment at how easily the Starks inspire inspire loyalty, where she mm. has had to like literally single handedly save people, and she's had dragons, and she's all then she's finally got. But like you know, uh, what 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 Theon and Sansa have at this kind of level is is she doesn't quite understand or get, and maybe it's a prism she can see like Jon Snow's loyalty, but I don't know. It just feels like. The more the, the, I, I rewound this and watched it a couple times, like no, this just seems like a woman who's miffed that one of her people have yeah. been poached. I mean, that kind of would make sense, Le- culminating in John telling her that she's not actually the queen, right? Like, but still, it's just it's just annoying to me. It seems like the only person still, and even to a lesser extent now, it, it, John is the only one that's fully committed to like, hey, it's it's and Davos too. Uh, like, we got living, we got dead, everything else can wait till like Sansa's still concerned about what's going to happen after and danny is concerned about what's going to happen after but the only one that's got their mind on what the fuck they're doing is like davos and and john and bran and bran bran he knows what's up yeah not in a human way but yeah yeah but probably better than anybody else Mm -hmm. all right so there's a peasant uh who's gonna go off and fight he's scared about having to do so uh during this uh you know facing down a human army bad enough facing down the dead as your first battle mm-hmm. mm, not for me and 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 as your comfort you've got like davos the onion knight saying well i don't know what i was doing and i survived two battles who the hell knows how <laughs> you'll do you'll do fine i got incredibly lucky a couple of times right maybe you will too yeah he gives him a pep talk and then this little girl comes up uh, and wants to join the fight and gilly basically tricks her into defending the crypts instead which is the right move you gotta, you gotta get this girl out of harm's way. Uh-huh. She's got no business on the battlefield, right? She just, but she really wants to be there. Her. Make her feel like she's doing something, yeah. uh, useful. Yeah, it's, uh, good, good parenting by uh, Gilly uh-huh. there. All right, and and we, all, we talked about the how, uh, like, I just thought is you know another good nostalgia episode is like Davos is just completely taken aback by this little girl with the burnt, the scarred face, and it's so clear 
uh, that uh, you know it's it's a analog for Princess Shireen. And in fact, someone emailed us and said uh, we'll get to feedback later. Talked about how they even played Shireen's musical theme un- oh, like, like subtly underneath that scene to yeah. kind of like sell it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I was buying everything they're selling. That that was yeah. powerful because I, I love Davos. Yeah, I thought the tag team of Davos and Gilly were perfect here. Yeah, they did what they needed to do. Uh, then Tormund, Ed, and Beric arrive in Winterfell. Uh, they're back from Last Hearth, and they have the report, which is not good. They tell John that the dead will arrive before the sun comes up tomorrow. They don't have much time. Not good. Uh, I, I do love, you know, John going to greet his friends, mm-hmm. his real friends here, and then Tormund barreling in and grabbing yeah, him in a big bear. Like a freight train hitting him. And yeah. he calls him, he calls, he calls him, oh, my little crow. And John <laughs> gives that look like, I, uh, yeah, we got to come up with a different nickname because. <laughs> Warden in the North. That's yeah, good. Yeah. I'll accept that. Yeah. Little crow. No, not so much <laughs> anymore. Uh, Tormund. Yeah. Um, but I that and then and then like after he drops that line, he turns around and is like, is the big woman still uh-huh. here? Like, I, uh, I will admit I warmed up a little bit to Tormund. Like, he's still silly. He seems inconsequential in uh-huh. the grander picture. But yeah. it, I mean, just with the giant's milk story alone. Yeah. You got to love Tormund in this episode. I like Tormund. I think Tormund is like this. Uh, I, f- I feel like Tormund's a. And I think a more fun character in the book, or maybe, I don't mm. know, he just has more dialogue or more of these kind of long-winded stories and, you know, his his distinctive laughter and all that. Um, and I felt like they've had a hard time. I don't know this actor's name, but he's kind of larger life himself and that, like, his performance and just him, his face and his beard and his hair kind of, like, sell it all. Oh, yeah. But, like, this is... Uh, this episode really gave him, uh, like, I think, time to shine and show, like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like w- what his qualities are. And also, I think, yeah, again, on subsequent watches, I felt like they really slammed the door hard on all you uh, uh, Tormund Brienne shippers. Oh, yeah. Brienne's not good, having good it. Good fucking luck, Tormund. Brienne's not having it. Like, maybe if he single-handedly kills the Night King, just that's his sheer gallantly, gallantry uh, no, and valiantry. single-handedly kill the Night King and Jamie Because <laughs> the <laughs> yeah, competition's right. too stiff. You're right. And Jamie has to uh, actually die in the battle, yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, nah, there's, that's, not, that's not happening. That's no. not happening. All right, so Winterfell has a strategy meeting. Bran says the Night King is going to come after him, so they decide to use him as bait. Theon volunteers to protect him in the Godswood, and everyone else will attempt to hold them off until they can get at the Night King and kill him, uh, hoping that, that will basically dispel all the White Walkers. Uh, Tyrion, or all the Whites, rather. Uh, Tyrion is commanded to stay in the crypt in order to protect his mind, because it's more valuable than his fighting prowess. Do you think Tyrion gets out of that? Because I notice he's on top of the parapets as the at the end of the commences. episode. Yeah, I, I don't supposed know. to go down, Tyrion. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe someone will come up and tell him to go hide with the women and children like he did to Joffrey. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I hope he doesn't just sit down in the crypts sparring dick and ball jokes with Varys. Oh, boy. Yeah, <laughs> we know Varys ends up in the crypts. Yeah. Because uh, I've seen the trailer. Yeah. We talked about uh, the brand doesn't know if Dragonfire will work. I'm going to hazard a guess that it will mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's seems it's, likely it's fire and this guy is associated with ice. But I mean, if uh, ice, if ice dragons work on the wall, I would think fire dragons would work on the ice whites. Yeah. And I felt like it was good that, you know, John laid out all the stakes. He had this battle planning montage where they're like, you know, working on their works and uh, you see some of the characters um, kind of preparing 
Uh, I do, I do wish they spent a little bit more time explaining the mechanics of this brand thing. Like they, mm. they, 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 they've done enough. Like you know, the the, the Night King's got the mark, and he's trying to find him, and uh, all that kind of stuff. I just wish I knew exactly a little bit more of of the plan mm. um, and what they were expecting to happen and how it was going to play out. But if they laid it all out, then it would be anticlimactic when you actually watch it unfold. But yeah, that's the thing. Like I think these scenes have to. To successfully sell a fight scene and have it all resonate, you got to care about the stakes. Check. You got to care about the characters. Check. And you have to know what these characters are trying to do in opposition of the other team. Mm -hmm. So when things are not going right, you know, like, oh, that's a reversal. Or when things are going well, you know that things are going well. Because otherwise, it's just guys slapping swords on a battlefield. And I Mm -hmm. feel like that last thing... I not I'm skeptical that they've done enough to to that I know what's going on in the battle, and it looks like the battle is going to immediately join next episode. So there's not a whole lot of time to kind of lay out. Oh, you're going to flank this, and you're going to do this, and this person has to hold, and if they yeah. don't hold, then well, I think in general terms, certainly in specifics, yeah, they haven't got into it. Like you know, Brienne says, oh, there's good high ground up there. We'll, we'll have the ridge, and like you know, they they say, okay, we're going to station Brand the Godswood and try to lure the the Night King in. It, it seems to me like the the grand plan here is simply to last until they can kill the Night King because they mm. know they can't win this battle. Right. Um, they don't have enough people. Everyone that they lose becomes another soldier for the dead. And, and so they will eventually be overrun undoubtedly. Their only chance is to get at the Night King before that happens. Mm. And so every single soldier's job is to simply hold them back. That's what I'm getting out of it. Um, so tactically, but what would the like, Night King I don't know for? what they're because that's do. the other thing. Is like, what is the Night King yeah. like? So what? Why? When would he come in to take Bran? And under what circumstances? Yeah. Like, he's got a dragon. He does just... he understand the risks associated with you know flying right into Bran? Right? Or is he so single minded that he'll ignore those? Like, I mean, we have catapults. Like, you know, could they shoot him out of sky? I, I, like I said, I, I, maybe I know enough, and I'm not giving him enough credit for. But it feels like things are a little bit more nebulous for me to be able to I'm accurately keep score of what's going on in the battle. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so I don't know how much you believe like what Brand says here, and I think we've talked about it a lot. Um, the, the one thing I can say for certain is that Theon is not going to be the one to kill the Night King. <laughs> no. And I believe that basically dooms Theon because he's going to be the one protecting Bran. Hmm. Now, I, I'm I'm trying I'm actually trying to think of a scenario in which you know Theon could die protecting Bran, but Bran doesn't die. <laughs> Well, let me ask you this, because this, this is a pretty good way to divine what's going on in narration. What what more can Theon do in his arc? Mm-hmm. Nothing. Like, he's regained his uh, he's regained his, uh, his own conception of manhood to himself, to his sister, and to his men, and to his, his, his uh, uh, fellow Iron Islanders. Uh, he has reclaimed the esteem of his brothers and now sisters, uh, you know, his, his adopted Stark family he's gotten there's there's not a lot of narrative road left he's not going to uh, inherit the uh the iron islands he's not going to father more children he's mm-hmm. like uh you know he can he can be a eunuch soldier in the seven kingdoms afterwards or he can die a heroic death those are his two envelopes now everything yeah. else there's like nothing he, he's a he's a character who's completed his arc so look for those characters by the end of this episode um, and I think there's a lot of them. Uh, then there's a lot of them that are wearing pretty heavy plot armor because yeah. of that. Like, for example, the Hound, basically invincible. Hound is not going to fucking die in this battle because his arc oh, is... Oh, how bittersweet it would be. ...is, is, is yet to... Oh, I mean, there were... Oh, Jesus, the howling, the <laughs> weeping, the gnashing of yeah. teeth. Uh, 
I, but but like guys like that, John, Danny, John and Danny uh, are a hundred percent to make it through right, this battle. One hundred percent, unless they start next episode with the resolution of "I'm the king, you're the queen" stuff. Like, oh, I'm Aegon Targaryen. Actually, mm-hmm. there's no way they can kill either of them. Mm-hmm. Because like, Tyrion, I think now because he has to do something to to prove his worth. But yeah. like Varys, Varys is another one. Like he could go. Sure. What is his, you know, uh, what, what's his narrative arc? There's a lot of uh, Barrick. He hasn't done, since he Barrick's pledged literally himself been, to Danny. Yeah. he's done almost nothing. Yeah, uh, except for worry about her being the Mad Queen, which... Uh, yeah, which which doesn't fulfill, you know, his stated goal of helping the realm. So I feel right. like there's something left for Varys to do, but I honestly can't see it. Yeah, I don't know, maybe organize some kind of heroic defense of the crypts. Yeah. Um, it would be kind of fun to see Varys kick ass. <laughs> I can't even imagine it. It it would be like going back to the my, couple of seconds back before to my, my ninja thief days in the the free cities. It, it it would be like the few seconds before you see Yoda fight Count Dooku yeah. in Attack of the Clones. Where it's like, like kind of almost funny. Where until, it's like what the, what is this puppet yeah, gonna do? Right. And then he starts flipping and right. uh, just murdering fools. And I just don't see it from Varys. But yeah, who knows? I could be wrong. Uh, I, I will say also a, this is exactly why I want to see this, but a scene with the night King in the godswood feels so fucking wrong. Mm-hmm. Like in, in the It'd same, be like the devil coming to a cathedral. Yeah. Yeah. It just feels so wrong. And that's why I want to see it happen. Um, so then we go over to Miss Sandy and gray worm getting strange looks from the children of Winterfell. Uh, I'm assuming that's because they've likely never seen a dark skinned person and gray worm promises, Hey, I'm going to take you away from, from this Miss Sandy and we're going to go to North and we're going to. The Unsullied are going to protect you when this is all over. Hmm. I, I felt like that, like, my people are peaceful, they can't protect themselves, is a bit of a non sequitur. Because, like, so is Grey Worm pledging all of the... Apparently. Uh, fa- yeah. And fa- faces... I don't understand it. All of the Unsullied, and they're going to protect not nath for the rest of their nath, which for, I, for the I, rest I, of their natural life which is another i don't know 20 30 40 years of like of, of good protecting age and then they're gonna die and uh-huh. nath will once again be open for plunder i mean <laughs> so, so this is funny because my girlfriend for the longest time thought the dorn was called dawn uh, because she had listened to Roy Dotrice right. yeah, yeah, read yeah, yeah. the word Dorn in yeah. his British accent uh-huh. uh, in the audiobooks and thought, oh, that's just, it's it's just called Dawn. Yeah, you, you dropped this R, uh, Roy. What, what's going uh, yeah. on? Yeah, and so every time Sandy says, you know, I want to end up in Noth, I'm like, you're in the North. Yeah. You're in the North. What's, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Uh, I, I yeah, I, just, I I don't know. It's I thought it was weird because in the universe, Danny has taken over Slaver's Bay. That's the place, presumably, who's been pillaging the Nath people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, your entire world order has to fall to shit for like this. I, I don't know. It is 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 it was weird. It's weird because like also what the Unsullied might be like. You know, fuck not. I I I'm tired of being hot. I've grown up in hot climates all the time. I'm gonna chill up here in the north where I don't have work, work up a sweat. I don't know. I will say I think the plot or, or the the characters they've done the least maintenance with in mm-hmm. the last uh, few episodes have been Missandei and Grey Worm, and compared to the stakes with everybody else, this scene fell a little flat for me. I'm like, I yes, I care about these characters. They um, love each other. It's interesting. It, it is, but like you haven't done enough recently to keep them at the forefront yeah. and show me like you know other than them living or dying, what are the stakes here? Right? It's it's not like. Uh, the stakes with John and Danny, like who's going to be the fucking ruler the of stakes this. are redefining the concept of a romantic relationship in Westeros. 
I feel like a lot of people have done that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, but they're doing it in secret. I, I just know? wish we had had more with them like leading Jamie up to Cersei their big trying moment to, here. Trying to break down the walls of incest. They're just trying, you know, like... Uh, <laughs> Is that what they're doing? Turns out a unit can have a, a healthy uh, romantic relationship with a woman. I don't know. That's, 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 that is true. However, I just don't think they've done enough recently with him. Uh, so Sam pesters John to tell Danny about his true identity. And then we get a Night's Watch reunion when Ed joins them for some good-natured ribbing. Uh, I really like this scene. Yeah, now our watch begins, taking it back to season one, where the new, the fresh, young recruits, Grin and Pip and Ed and John and Sam are all thrust together. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you even got Ghost for a little nostalgia feel. You do. It's ghost uh, sighting. And they're like, they're, they're, they're all that's left of that class of Black Brothers. Um, pretty, and I really love... Interesting. And then um, looking out over the wall of Winterfell so uh so some thematic of the many yeah. nights they spent staring out and I also thought about like uh apparently the origin of Game of Thrones is George Martin visited Harrodin's wall which is a real life wall that's built I think just south of Scotland um where like that was the extent of the Roman Empire and it was this mm-hmm. like 11 12 foot tall stone wall and he saw he and he, he climbed to the top and looked out after he's like imagine being a Roman legionnaire and at night and looking out at this vast dark forest and not knowing like the fierce people to live there and what creatures and like, and this is the, this is the end of civilized world as you know it. And like, that was the kind of thing that inspired him to then go on and, 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 and come up with the 700 foot high ice wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you got that, like how spooky that is just to look out in that darkness and you're in this little pool of light and you just know death is coming for you. Um, I thought it was great. Uh, the the other line that I really like here is when uh, Ed calls Samuel Tarley the Slayer of White Walkers, lover of ladies, mm-hmm. and it's it's another one of those moments where you go like, oh man, they have come a really long way. Like who would have thought it, that he's the most unlikely of persons to have done the things he's done, right? And yet here we are, and it just th- those moments feel really good right before what we know is going to be a hugely damaging next episode. It's also interesting that Sam, like I, I think that Sam is going to fight, but I don't know how he's going to fight because he's he doesn't get, have a sword. He doesn't have a sword. He could get a, I guess an ax, a dragon glass ax or like a crossbow or something. Or maybe yeah. he was just like, maybe he was just uh shit talking to uh, John and uh, Ed here. And he's actually going to go down to the, <laughs> uh, cause you know, like I, like as a last line of defense, don't you need someone down in a crypt that knows what he's doing? Yeah, and I think as, uh, certainly, I mean, this little girl is not going to protect anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam is is slightly better, I suppose. Um, but but to me, it also kind of ties in with Bran. Like, if Bran is killed during this, maybe all hope is lost. Maybe not. Maybe there's some other way to defeat, you know, the Night King mm-hmm. and restore order. But then Sam, you know, as, as much as the Citadel is the memory of, of man... Uh, in the same way that Bran is, I think, you know, Sam could be that. Hmm. So I I think there's like a a hope, even if Bran dies, that maybe Sam and the Citadel can continue their work. So then we go to Tyrion and Jaime chatting by the fire, and a party begins to form around them, uh, around actually them, the fire, and the wine, Mm -hmm. pretty importantly. Uh, Tormund tells a story of how he became known as Giant's Bane, which is entertaining as hell. More like Giant's boob, am I right? No, I don't know if I'm right. <laughs> no, you're definitely wrong. Uh, him, him, him talking about suckling that tea for three months and just quaffing that giant horn of ale. <laughs> and then Davos and responds, mess. "Like yeah. maybe I will have. This drink. Yeah, if I'm going to be stuck with this guy's <laughs> yeah. drunk, drunk ass." 
Uh, uh, I love Davos so much. Yeah, and like Brian kind of chiding Pod about like having it all, maybe half a cup, and I, I it's it's great. And like then Tyrion you, giving him the wink and filling it all the way up. And as soon as you like, that's the thing. Like you knew. Like, it was already fun when it was just Jamie and Tyrion just having this talk between brothers and, you know, imagine, mm-hmm. like, Tywin defending Winterfell and the perils of betterment, which, you know, the more you know, the less you can be a shit in life, it turns out, at least with a clean conscience. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just got, kept getting more fun. Uh, do you think, because I have a controversial, or maybe not a controversial opinion, I don't think, I think Tywin would be in Winterfell. Hmm. Like Tywin sees that ice, that zombie, like proof, and he know, like, like he's all concerned about his dynasty, right? He might want to try to get as many people to fight for him instead, but like if he's fighting an existential war for the, f- I, I think that Tywin is not like a truly evil character. He's just, wa- he's just a, he's just a Lannister supremacist. Yeah, he's he's power hungry and pragmatic. Yeah. Um, in a way that actually might lead him up here. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. I don't think it would happen, you know, in the sort of roundabout way that it's happened here. Where, right. you know, Tyrion and Jamie would end up on the other side of of the, the ally group here uh, going, hey, after this whole Night King thing is over, we're mm-hmm. coming for you. Mm-hmm. Um, if, Tyr- if Tywin were still alive. But yeah, he'd like be a, up there. It'd be, it'd be hard for Tywin to kind of like... You know, how do you, like, like his, what if it's like, okay, I could see, you could make an argument, well, Tywin's going to consolidate his forces, trick everybody's fight, do his own, but, like, what if you miscalculate, and, like, your 20,000 dudes would have been the margin of victory, and now the army of the dead's got 160,000 people, and they're going to steamroll your ass. Like, well, yeah, that's the thing that I feel like people are missing the point of. Like, Jamie rolls in, you know, um, and essentially says, like, Cersei plans to just mop you all up however this shakes out and that's actually going to be doubly hard by the time this battle is over because they will have right. more soldiers but that's the, th- the whole thing cersei is foolish right Tywin is right. not so like but, but jamie is foolish in this too right because i think he buys into that idea that she can come in and mop up whatever's i left, think he's but... just articulating her theory i don't know that he actually buys it um okay because it does seem that like if winterfell if if uh if winterfell's done um and there's a hundred thousand army of the dead and i don't know anywhere between 30 and sixty thousand troops here in winterfell uh how the hell do you mop yeah how the hell do you mop that up unless the north wins unless Unless the north the living win and then maybe they'll be so decimated that Cersei can come in yeah but again that's like you're just you're just betting you're just betting that you're right and Mm -hmm. you're betting the entire existence not just of your house but of the entire world if you're wrong yeah i think tywin would play it like I'm going to go help, and I'm also going to have a secondary plan that leaves me in a better position once yeah. this whole thing shakes out either way. Yeah, like, I'm going to make sure none of my forces are in the vanguard, and I don't <laughs> right. want to be like, I'll I'll, uh, I'll go for crypt duty or whatever. Like it's, But it's, I don't think he's going to put himself on the front lines the way like a Brienne would or a, a Jamie would, but uh, the fact that, that, that he wouldn't march north of troops to, to fight an existential threat I doesn't seem like it, it fits into my version of uh, Tywin. Yeah. All right, Arya goes out to the battlements and finds the Hound sitting all alone. Uh, she sits down to chat, and then Beric shows up, and he starts talking about the Lord of Light, so the Hound threatens to throw him off the wall if he doesn't shut up. And Arya excuses herself so as not to die with two miserable old shits. Uh, instead, she goes and practices her archery until Gendry shows up with her weapon. Uh, and she's pleased with it, but not as pleased as she is after convincing Gendry to show her what sex feels like before they die. Gendry gave her the spear, and then he gave her the spear. Sure did. <laughs> Actually, I think she took the spear. 
Uh, yeah. Yeah, in both instances. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, she forced him to make that weapon, and she forced him to give it to her. Well, let's see. See, I was already thinking, I was, just, I was just on the border of accusing Arya of raping Gendry. I don't think that's what happened. No, definitely not. Uh, but yeah, she was, uh, she, was the, um, she was the aggressor in the conflict, let's say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I thought it was interesting that um, I, I liked I Gendry's realization, because he kind of treated her like the little sister this whole time. I'm like, oh, you're going to, until she proves her skills, like, okay, I'll make your damn thing. But like, when mm-hmm. he saw how heavily scarred her body is, and like, you know, shit, she almost got cut in half by the waif. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that's like when it finally kind of hit home that, oh, this is, this is a woman to be reckoned with. This isn't, you know, uh, and then also I felt like, I don't know. I read a lot of interviews about, uh, like how Maisie felt about this and how, uh, Joe Dempsey felt about this because like he says, like, you know, first time I met this girl, she was like 12, 13 years old. Now I'm doing a sex scene with her eight years later. That's kind of wild. Yeah. Um, she's 22 for anybody who's wondering. Now. Yes. Yes. So. And I, I thought it was like, uh, that like, like, I think that you're supposed to understand that like what's going through Gendry is similar thoughts of like, mm-hmm. Oh God, is this like, is this cool? Like, and, but then like when he sees, you know, her body and that she's been through like both emotional, physical scars, like it, it's, but I, I, I don't know. I, I struggled with seeing myself cause I still see, I, I said it's probably guilty of seeing Arya as a little girl more than, than a woman. So like, it was weird. Huh. It was weird. But like, I'm trying to see, I'm trying to see like how they wrote it and constructed it to make it not, to make it seem like very organic and, and, and whatnot for the characters. I thought they did a good job. Yeah, I mean, you you kind of needed this scene beforehand where, you know, she's saying, I'm looking forward to seeing this face of death. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I've seen several others. And it, it, that that makes us understand and get understand that she is more than just the child that he remembers. How many women would he have sex with before Arya goes, gross, I'm going back to the Hound and Beric? Cause like, or was she just fucking with him? I, I think she was mostly fucking with him. Uh-huh. Like, oh, come on. I know you remember the number. You're a guy that would remember the number. Right. Of course you are. You but have I feel that like that was on... important to her. Like, if he had, like, just countless conquests and this would be nothing, this would not mean anything to him, like, I don't think she would have been as interested. Where else is she going to go for this experience? I mean, there's <laughs> any number of young men here in this guy. Podrick Payne, for, exa- for example. Uh, yeah, Todd but there's, the there's no relationship there. Sure. Like, what... I just don't see any other alternatives. I don't. I don't think he could come back with like 417. And right. That would be cool. Right. With her, but also I don't think that like poor boy the, the pox will take him within a year. So I was getting like, so was she just fucking with him? Was there like a, like was there a hard no at some point if he just turned out to be a fuck boy or I didn't I didn't get that. But... I thought she was just keeping him off balance. Yeah. Okay. Me too. Uh. All right, we move over to Tyrion suggesting to the group that they might actually live through this battle, which elicits laughter from everyone. Uh, then he proceeds to list off the battles that each of them have survived. And when Bran comes up, Tormund's shocked that she's not a knight already. And they explain, well, women actually can't be knights in the current system. And Jamie says, eh, you know, that's not strictly true. Knights can knight anybody. Uh, and he proves it by knighting Brienne in a truly emotional moment i I thought this was the best scene in the entire episode man and they did such a great like the more i watched this because i rewinded this because i want to see everyone's different reactions um i loved when she's like dismissively says you know i didn't even want it like spoiled grapes i didn't want to be a knight and then it it, it cut the camera cuts the pod staring her down hard like Uh wait a second first of all 
bullshit. Second of all, not bullshit. Then you're saying that I'm bullshit. Like there was like kind of like visible like hurt and confusion. And then you know, obviously, when this meant so much to her, mm-hmm. uh, there is also another like a, a shot of pod, kind of like yeah, that's right. And, and uh, it, this, it's, is, this, this is the stuff right here. Right. It's 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 not just what this means to her, you know, personally becoming a knight, but it's also who's knighting her. Like this is mm-hmm. such an important moment for Brienne. It's the culmination. Of everything she's wanted. When they first met, she was disgusted by Jamie because yeah. he is everything wrong with knighthood in Westeros. And now she sees him as like, uh, you know, this like uh, uh, kind of slighted paragon, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, truly honorable man. And I thought it's really good. Now, remember what I said about characters who arcs have ran their course? Uh-huh. A hundred percent. As I was watching this, I'm like, oh, shit. There, I don't... I mean, unless you think that, like, Brienne and Jamie are going to get fucking married, like, this is her arc. Like, this is what she's wanted yeah. more than anything, to be accepted and to be seen as equal, to be seen as valued, uh, to... to you know, she's always she's that's been her thing. She's always embodied the concept of knighthood and chivalry better than anyone on the show, but she's forever barred because the fact that she was born with teats instead of balls... I'm scared. I'm really scared for Brienne. Oh, you should be. Uh, because, again, like, if you, if you look at the, you know, next time on, there's also, like, a prominent shot of her on the front lines of combat. Like, she's not Tywin mm-hmm. Lannistering it. No. She's not leading from the rear. So, uh, I'm scared. I'm scared. Yeah. Uh, gird, gird your loins, people. I don't even know exactly what that term means, but I think it means what I think it means. Uh <laughs> Because next episode, uh-huh. it's going to take out a lot of your favorite characters. You think so? A lot of them. Hmm. I There's no way, no matter what kind of Game of Thrones fan you are, there is no way you make it out of next episode without going, God damn it, I wish that person would have lived. Yeah. Yeah. There's right, just that's, no that's way. For sure. There are too many important, great characters right. allied against a force that is completely insurmountable that's the end of the show i mean we're this yeah. is this is it so that will happen i don't think i'm a moat because like i intellectually am prepared for brian to die but uh she's one of my favorite characters i think she's top yeah. five for me so like i i guess i you know i was going in i'm like okay uh jamie's probably gonna make it john's gonna make it and dan's gonna make it and Tyrion's gonna make it and then i get to like brian i'm like <laughs> probably one of those big five is going to bite it yeah uh, and uh, just uh, makes me feel preemptively sick uh, Jorah is trying to convince uh, Lyanna to wait out the battle in the crypt, and she is obstinately refusing. She wants to fight. Uh, Sam then approaches and gives Jorah his family sword, Heartsbane, and Jorah promises to wield it in honor of Gior to guard the realms of men. This is a fucking great scene, because I really liked uh, Gior, the old bear mormont, and yeah. his, his story, and uh, you know how meaningful it is. The more you got to know about him and his background and Jorah, like, the better it got. And now him... When when John says like I think this was actually the most emotional moment of the episode when John says like your dad taught me what it was to be a man and what is right and this is right um, and selflessly giving up this literally priceless artifact to a man that can wield him wield it far better than him mm, and who, when Sam says that yeah and 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 also like you know the Jorah had lost like you know his his father gave it to another worthier man because he had disappointed him so much and he's going to take up this. And wield it in his memory to guard the realms of men. Fuck that. Mm-hmm. That's that's just a perfect moment. And I, like I For said, sure. I'm not even a huge fan of Jorah, uh, but uh, that 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 scene that he had with Sam is great. Then we move to Tyrion asking this uh, group of of rogues, this rogue gallery here, if anyone knows a song they could sing. No one does. Uh, it goes around the entire room, 
and then Pod pipes up, begins singing a, a truly beautiful song. I mean, I his voice is excellent. Yes, uh, I, I'm glad they had him sing this. Uh, as we get one final look at our characters in the calm before the storm, and it's it's a very I mean, this is fan service, but this is the kind of fan service that works 100% for me. And the way it seamlessly bled into the montage, which, again, the the, the video the HBO released where they, they had, again, Florence the Machine sing this, like, a three-minute version with a bunch of clips from the show. Mm-hmm. It's like that, this supercharge, because you go around... Uh, here you see Theon and Sansa, you know, just sharing their their moment of like, you know, they're the two people that probably suffered under Ramsay the the most. Yeah. Um, and then the Sandy kissing Grey Worm for luck, and and uh, um, uh, Sam Jor- and Gilly laying in bed, and yeah, with, with their, their son kid, between yeah. them, and and Jorah like you know mounting up on a horse and getting a sword ready, like all that stuff is really good. Uh, and then and it kind of picks up the pace as it goes. You know, it starts off very sort of calm and peaceful um, with, you know, Sam McGilly. And then by the end, it's sort of like everybody's getting all their troops in position and they're rallying. Uh, they're on the move. And then, yeah, we, we go down to Danny finding John in the crypt, staring at Leona Stark. Uh, reluctantly, John fills her in on his true parentage and Danny immediately knows what it means to her claim to the throne. Uh, before they can deal with that, though, the Night King arrives at Winterfell and the armies prepare to face each other. Yeah, I was, I was debating whether to talk about this on the main podcast, but I think uh, the Ginny, there, there's actually a lot of interesting stuff behind the choice of song, the Ginny of Old Stones, uh, but it's very deep into the lore, and I'd have to explain a whole bunch of shit. Uh, so I'm going to save that for the uh, spoiler edition that comes out on Friday. Um, but uh, I, I, I mean, it's a testament to the writing and performance that this is like the fourth time we've been revealed this exact same information in long mm-hmm. form that that John is and it's still gripping because a, a different person and they're you know seeing like her reaction and her doing the math and trying to and just as she's in the middle of trying to calculate it like why are you telling me this which I want to ask that here in a minute you get to th- the iconic three blasts of the White Walkers coming mm-hmm. um, I mean it's a dramatically perfect time to do it yeah. I don't know that it makes a lot of sense for John to want to do it in this moment but, yeah why because like I, I, I will say I don't know that John has a lot of choice here I mean he, he, could just, he, he could certainly not say anything, yeah. but he didn't go seek her out to try and tell her this thing. She approached him. She started saying things that he knew the truth of, and as an honorable man, I don't think he could just yeah, hide right. this stuff from her. He's got that fucking Ned Stark to yeah. him. So, so it's well within his character to just... It, it, consequences be damned, because I think it is pretty devastating to do this right before the battle. Yeah. Uh, he's especially when Sam was like, kind of like, you're waiting for the right moment, biding your time, yeah, find the right. Like, never this is one. literally as the Night King takes the battlefield. Yeah. Hey, Danny, I want to fuck <laughs> your emotional and mental space all up. Yeah. I want to piss and shit in all the it corners sucks, of the. But yeah. He's a Stark. Like, he's his father's son, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, indeed. You got you got him doing stupid things for good reasons. Uh, so the dead come in. John nods to Danny. Because, like, I don't feel like this was as big a moment to him as it was for her. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, because uh, he is singularly focused on winning this battle, whereas Danny is, like, trying to win the Iron Throne. Um, I'm presuming they're going off to ride dragons together. I mean, John... That would make sense, yeah. John took a joyride on a dragon once, and now he's a, he's a dragon rider, I guess. Uh, but it seems like that's what they're... Because else, why would they not and walk off together? Yeah, I assume they're going to get on their dragons and take them... Somewhere just out of you know visual range, make sure they're close enough to the gods. Would are you be there. surprised that John would be a part of the dragon riders? Because I don't think the dragons need to be ridden. 
Yeah, that's fair. Um, maybe they do. Maybe they need someone that will keep their like, uh, like if nothing else, watch their six. If there's an ice spear coming, <laughs> do a barrel shout, roll or some shout shit. Shout Dracaris. Yeah, they just don't yeah. know when to to shoot flames. Yeah, uh, so you can like uh, you just be the eyes in the back of the dragon's head, I guess. Yeah. So then, then Tyrion know. being left pondering the wall uh, of Winterfell. Uh, what do you think the odds of him get, making it down to the crypt are? <sighs> I feel like he's going to be. He's just going to be all. Our, he's going to be a, a actively part of this battle. I mean, I could definitely see that. Like you're going to see the. I think you're going to see the Tywin come out. Like he's going to be the the chess master. He's going to be the battlefield commander. Yeah. Uh, he's going to like be calling all it, the shots. It, yeah. It, uh, fucking blackwater yeah i mean he, he ended up leading from the front more than he yeah. probably wanted to but um <laughs> for sure I, I i think that that yeah he's got that's going to be how he kind of wins w- wins back because you're going to see that tactical and strategic brilliance i want to see something from him yeah uh, and to. hiding in the crypts there's not much of an option uh unless the starks come back if he comes up with a sick we'll sick eunuch joke like, like he's, been, he's yeah. been sitting on it for eight seasons. It's that a perfect could one. redeem it. Just when you thought that well, that that eunuch will run dry, he pumps another drop out of it. And you realize, oh, this is a clever man. Yes, right. You're right. <laughs> I didn't think, I, I thought, I would have bet, good money, you can't make a funny eunuch joke, season eight of Game of Thrones, at, at various expense, Tyrion against all odds. And that's the end of the episode. Before we get to feedback, this episode is sponsored by Away, first-class luggage at a coach price. Now, Away was founded by two friends from New York who found themselves at JFK Airport with dead phones, delayed flights, and a bright idea. Hey, how about we have luggage with power? That sounds awesome. Why fight the 700 people trying to, 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 to rebook their flights for the two outlets in one square mile? Yeah, or uh, get upsold to sit down and and buy an eighteen dollar drink ex- to charge your phone. Exactly, and thus was the birth of away carry on luggage. They then proceeded to do their research. They asked thousands and thousands of people how they pack, why they travel, what bugs them most about their existing luggage. Then, brilliant idea, they designed luggage to solve those real world problems. Now, all of the away suitcases are made with premium German polycarbonate, which is unrivaled in strength and impact resistance, despite being extremely lightweight. It also features four 360-degree spinner wheels to guarantee a smooth ride. Jim, sometimes when I'm at the airport, I just kind of twirl the thing around absentmindedly uh-huh. and kind of almost dance with it. It's so much fun. Uh, both sides of the carry-on are available to charge all cell phones, tablets, e-readers, and anything else that's powered by USB cord. A single charge of the Way carry-on will charge your iPhone five times. It's also kind of like ejects like a ammunition clip if you need to take it out for TSA purposes. Or or if you want to... So so my girlfriend really didn't want to have to do that because she uh-huh. wasn't sure how. Um, mm-hmm. So ahead of time, we took the battery out. Mm-hmm. And we ended up, when we went to Italy, using the battery uh, the entire time to charge our phones. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, we just ran it through like the international adapter to the battery to our sure. phones. And we could charge both at the same time. We only had to charge that battery one time during our entire 11-day trip. It's crazy big for its size. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, that's charge, my favorite feature of these bags. Charge your iPhone five times. It also it, uh, comes with a lifetime warranty. So if anything breaks, they'll replace it or fix it to uh, for you for free for life. Comes with a hundred day trial. Live with it. Vibe with it. Travel with it. Instagram in it or on it or around it. <laughs> I don't know if you're you gonna... might be able to fit in it. I've one of the larger, some ones. of the big ones. Yeah, yeah if you're smaller and you can, you're a Tyrion size. You could, you could catamaran sure. across the narrow sea on, <laughs> on, on an away luggage. Absolutely, and keep your phone charged the whole time. And, and at any point during your trip across the narrow sea, you decide this luggage isn't for you. You can turn it for a full refund, no questions asked. Actually, I don't know that you could 
take this into the ocean. Even I, that if might it gets, be asking if it a gets lot. grayscale, is that if it's allowed? If you take it down to old Valyria, it is not warranted for the smoking seas. Okay, well, just uh, don't do that, and you're good. So again, uh, away cl- uh, away offers first class luggage at a coach price. I this is my favorite piece. No joke, this is my favorite piece of luggage I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Even the small one, I can pack a full week's worth of clothes. They got these really cool compression straps that 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 help you pack sensibly. Uh, and if you want to get $20 off these really great suitcases, visit awaytravel.com slash GOT and use promo code GOT during checkout. Do it. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Mac Weldon, and they have a very simple mission, which is to make sure that all of your basics are smartly designed and that shopping for them is easy and convenient. Uh, so if if people out there are anything like me, then I know that we all have bad underwear in our closet. Like you just have a couple of pairs that... Yeah, no matter how of. you put them on, they just don't look right. They don't fit right. Uh, something's gone wrong in the buying process. Of Past this or expiration date. Absolutely. Uh, Mack Weldon actually is much, much better than probably most of the stuff or any of the stuff you're wearing currently. Um, they have a laser-like focus on consistency and fit, uh, which actually makes the buying process very, very easy. I know when I went to go check out... Um, one of the things that they had on their website was a sizing chart. And I was like, okay, I'm a little skeptical of these things because I've tried these with shoes. I've tried these with shirts. It's never worked for me, even if I go by the sizing chart. This time it did. Uh, this time I ordered a couple pairs of underwear from them and I got exactly what I expected and it fit great. Um, I'm kind of partial to their Air Knit X style, which is a very light, breathable fabric uh, that's designed for... Um, you know, sports, I'm, I'm not a sports guy. I'm not doing a lot of sports in my day to day, but yeah, I found that even, you know, sitting in a chair all day, Stand, it kept stands, you nice and stands up to the, the ass in the chair. Yeah. Ass nice and, and fresh. You know, it's the, the light breathable nature of it. I definitely, I loved it. It was the best pair of underwear that I currently own. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually in the process of sort of sorting through my underwear science is saying that, that, that you spend up to 98.7% of your life in underwear. That's certainly actually I'm closer to a hundred. Uh, I try <laughs> never to, nude. Yeah, we found a never nude. I, I try to always at least keep one layer between me and humanity. That lightweight mesh probably comes in handy in the shower. It does, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, they they also look really good. Their design uh, for for those instances where you need your underwear to look good, you know. And I'm not going to lay those instances out for you, but you know where they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, you want like that. when uh, when you're a longtime uh, gal pal. Uh, approaches you in the bowels of Winterfell and surprises you with a, hey, it's a, we're all about to dial its bone. Yeah. You don't want to be caught in some kind of oh, blacksmith underwear. Blacksmith loincloth? No. Hell no. No, no, no. So these look great. They're made of premium fabrics. Uh, like I said, that Airknit X one is really good, but they also have this thing called Silver, which is antimicrobial. So it provides a little extra protection if you're trying to keep your uh, your freshness about you. Uh, you can go. They also have uh, shirts and and uh, other accessories and pants and stuff like that. And I hear, actually, I heard uh, Mac Weldon add on another podcast that their pants are really good. I just didn't try them myself. So for twenty percent off your first order, you can visit MacWeldon dot com and enter promo code GOT at checkout. That's MacWeldon dot com and promo code GOT at checkout. Are we ready for feedback? Uh, oh boy, are we! Uh, I, ju- I, I inadvertently generated a lot of feedback, uh, oh, last I week. Saw I this, have, yeah. uh, I have, uh, I'm going to issue, uh, medals 
for uh, to, to, for the abundance of, of emails sent back. The the bronze tier goes to Roger D. I got this many times. Roger's the first. Uh, elephants aren't just a nod to book readers. They were mentioned in, as uh, being a part of the Golden Company in the Season 7 finale. Cersei's disappointment is likely even more for show watchers than book readers, as anyone watching last season could have got excited for War Elephants. So, I suppose so, yeah. Uh, a grateful, a grateful feedback nation gives you the the copper the copper medal for mm-hmm. that. The silver medal for entirely too much feedback sent in on a subject goes to Brad, who says the intro showing the Scorpion in King's Landing basement is not foreshadowing that actually happened on the show where Kyburn unveiled his new weapon to mm-hmm. Cersei. They fired a bolt into the giant dragon skull. Again, I don't, a grateful feedback nation. Thanks to you. I, I, I did. Mean, it I'll own it. I'll it own can it. certainly I can... be not new and foreshadowing for things to come. Yes. I, yes. I don't know. Hmm. Yes. I don't know if that's a correction I will take to heart. Because I think I will because I honestly had forgotten that he had actually fired a bolt into the dragon skull to prove oh. that. Something so, and then the gold medal. This for, one, yeah, I think this up. actually outdoes the gold arriving at King's Landing emails we got before uh, awarded to Nikki. Why are you this? And this happened to spoiler. So if you don't listen to spoiler, this is not a spoiler, but it's something I misspoke on. Uh, why are you questioning if Rhaegar's annulment impacts Danny in the week's podcast? She's not his child; she's his sister. His annulment has no impact on her. She's still a Targaryen, and of course, you are right. I don't know why when a person asks me if Danny, uh, like how would Danny be impacted uh, with the annulment of Rhaegar that I just act, I attacked a question, the part of the question that's about the annulment. And I looked at like, you know, how that's viewed religiously and politically and inheritance wise and not just realize that uh, Danny's not Rhaegar's child and would not be impacted at all. Here's here's my defense. We've got a character named Bran. Mm-hmm. Character named Bronn, character mm-hmm. named Brienne. Mm-hmm. We've got two characters named Asha. Uh-huh. Uh huh. What the fuck is up with the Targaryen names? <laughs> what? I can't remember no, a single most Targaryen. Most of those are Targaryen name. names, man. Now uh, you're going to uh, generate no, even more feedback. None of those are Targaryen names. That's not my point. My point is <laughs> yeah. the Targaryen names are so fucking similar and weird. Mm. That they all just blend in my mind, and I have no fucking clue who you're talking about. If it's not Aegon, I don't know who it is. Uh, so yeah, no. Danny is is not the child of Rhaegar, so she would be yeah. completely inured to any uh, um, annulment effects. So want to get that out. Thanks for like. I mean, I I got so many emails about the annulment thing. It's probably the vast majority of emails Whew. mentioned yeah. it at least. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, thanks for that, and uh, congrats congratulations to all the winners. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's go on to Taylor H. What exactly is Cersei's long game if the Night King prevails? She specifically decided not to aid the heroes in fighting the White Walkers. So what's her plan if they get through to the north? I don't uh, think she has one. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I, he, they, they go on in the detail about, like, how fucked she is. She doesn't have a dragon. She doesn't have dragon glass. You know, like, if, if, if Danny loses, how the hell does Cersei win? If Danny wins, you know, I just think that Cersei is a is a very poor man's version of Tywin Lannister. And she's got all of the family first and uh, all the selfishness and all of the single-minded, uh, uh, single-minded pursuit of that, that goal of Lannister supremacy and none of his like cunning and skill and understanding of politics and economics and, and all that. So like, I just think she's making an unforced error. I am still not buying this child thing. Okay. Cersei. Yeah. You okay? I um, want to talk about this so, with you anyway because you you sh- I, I saw the cock of your eyebrow that you were skeptical of this during the, the yeah. Recap. I, st- I still don't buy it. I still think uh, Jamie is being fooled by this whole 
manipulation that Cersei has going with this baby. I don't think there's an actual baby, and I, therefore I think Cersei has nothing to lose. Why don't you think is Cer- this like is this a pet theory with you, or do you have anything beyond just Cersei's a liar to suggest Cersei's that she's a liar not? and okay. manipulative and like yeah I, I I mean I don't have a lot to go on here. I just don't. Why buy did it. she fuck? Why did she fuck uh, um, Euron? Because, like, it makes sense if she's trying to cloak... Uh, it, it does, yeah. I'll give you that. Like, I'm probably in the minority here. I'm probably on the wrong side of the facts. But I'm just not fucking buying it. Okay. Anything Cersei says is a lie as far as I'm concerned. You're not going to get yelled at and, by Danny for trusting Cersei ever. Or yeah. You're, that's, that's the hill you're going to die on. Like, I might get yelled at for many things, but trusting Cersei? Nah. Nah. So, so when Cersei says, like... You know, Jamie points out, like, what fucking dynasty are you fighting for here? It's just us. We're the last two Lannisters that matter. Right. Uh, And she goes, she's just like, yeah, it's it's a dynasty for us then. Well, now us is gone. Mm -hmm. And now it's only her. What the fuck does she have to lose here? She can either be the ruler of the Seven Kingdoms by mopping up whatever forces Danny has left after they defeat the Night King, or everybody can fucking die. And she doesn't care. That's what I think. Um, we'll see if you're right. Vincent L. With all the emphasis on the winter krell, jeez, Louise, winter with, krell. with the winter krell whips, uh, with the Winterfell crypts, I was uh, wondering why Rob doesn't have anything. He was named king of the north, so shouldn't he have some sort of presence down there? Does his absence have to do with the fact that he never recovered his body? I actually think mm-hmm. it's 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 a easier explanation. No one gives a fuck about them crypts except for the Starks. And this, that, that castle has not been held by Starks since Theon took it over. Uh, so, like, I would not, you know, I, I wouldn't expect, uh, like, a statue to Cat. I wouldn't expect, like, Ned got there because his bones made it back while it was still in Stark hands. And they love Ned Stark. So mm-hmm. the stonemasons probably worked overtime to make a really nice Ned, Ned Stark statue down there. But afterwards... It's been, it was held by uh, Theon, and then it was held by the Boltons, and then, you know, John finally gets it back, but the the, the dead, uh, the army's right there marching on him, so there hasn't hasn't been time to give uh, the young wolf his, his due. But I imagine... It's tough to do, uh, to do any kind of sculpting when your fingers have been flayed off, <laughs> the skin on your fingers. I wonder if they'll because that would be an interesting way to end the series. Like if you're like a tour of the the, the crypts of Winterfell to see like all because like you know damn near all the Starks are going to be down there. Like and probably more so than are st- right now. Like you're right now the Stark the new Stark stone statue counts is at Ned and uh cat and rob and rickon. But I, the thing is is like not mm-hmm. everyone gets a statue down there. I think you no. have to be. I think you have to be a lord or a king, and then like the show, and, and or maybe I don't know, but cert, certain women of, of renown. I was gonna say, why did Lyanna Lyanna get one? Didn't they mention that that was something like that? Uh, did that, Ned that, do it for her? Yeah, um, because that like the, the you know the promise he made, and also the esteem that uh, uh, Robert had. I thought there was an, an explanation. I'll, I'll do some research on that for the spoiler podcast. But uh, okay. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't expect, but like, yeah, for sure, the first king of the north in three hundred years would fucking get a statue. I'd almost, would almost bet with with, with a real life direwolf. Of, of course he would. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean M, you asked in a preview who would be interested, uh, who would be interesting to see come back in the show in terms of somebody we forgot. My answer was always Cyril Pharrell, but narratively, obviously, there's no uh, payoff. Yeah. What about Sir Ilan Payne? Payne was one of the first Ugh. people on Arya's list. He was subtly removed from Arya's list and disappeared because he was an important character. And more importantly, the actor was diagnosed with terminal pancreatic cancer and was not expected to live. 
But in a twist, he recovered and is still alive and doing well by all accounts. Good. Arya could dispatch him in King's Landing on the way to kill Cersei. Um, I, nah, I mean, you've you've survived cancer. Would you like to come die on the show? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I'd be I'd do it if yeah, I was yeah, the yeah. guy um, for sure. But the it's thing is, is, like, so this I always think, and I, I talk about this on the spoiler podcast a lot. Like something from way back coming to play in season eight would have to be explained by like a less than five second previously on clip. Mm-hmm. I think Ilan Payne does like, like him cutting Ned's head off was a fucking moment. So like, I think they could show that he is the one to swing the sword, but then how much time could they get devote to Arya killing him when he hasn't been like, so like is, so they could do it. I think it's possible, but would the payoff be worth it? Now, if he's just one of the many, like Lannister slash King's Landing mooks that Arya mows down in a theoretical battle, and it's just kind of like uh, you see it on you know like BuzzFeed or The Insider as like look he's circled in red of like yeah. oh guess who appeared in the last as a kind of like a nice moment ten things you definitely missed in yes. the last episode of Game of Thrones yeah. that I could actually buy, but him having like a moment where Arya is like you and he's like you know he's mute he wouldn't say anything he doesn't have a tongue. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't buy it. I got somebody who could come back, but not in that way. Um, not like a reappearing character who was long and forgotten, but somebody who the Night King could resurrect. Mm-hmm. And we know it was kind of in the area, Stannis Baratheon. That's right. <laughs> we never saw him Sham- die. Shambling Stannis. Yeah, his body's probably out there in the cold, in the woods, Undoubtedly, right? undoubtedly. Uh, probably pretty well preserved, so maybe we'll see a shambling Stannis. Have we talk- I feel like we haven't talked about this. Um... Elliot S. Upon watching the efforts being made in Winterfell to craft dragonglass armor, I was made slightly curious about the possibilities and limitations of dragonglass when it comes to killing White Walkers. My main, my main, my main question is: Does any amount of dragonglass automatically kill the White Walker upon contact, or more likely, piercing upon or upon piercing their skin? From what we've seen so far, instant death seems most likely. We haven't seen any others obtain wounds from dragon glass, which they later recover from. If this is the case, why on earth would the heroes waste their finite dragon glass resources making pure dragon glass weapons? Would it not be far more efficient to put a single shard of dragon glass on the tip of each sword, spear, and arrowhead? Seems like the sort of thing they could have worked it out if it's the case, since Sam, at the very least, knows exactly what the outcome is of wielding dragon glass, and he's meant to be very smart and perceptive. Elliot, you must be your dungeon master's favorite player in the party. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is magic, right? There's not a chemical reaction happening with their dead skin and obsidian, right? So, like, yeah, yeah I wouldn't assume so. I, I feel trying to min-max a magical system could get you in trouble. And, and I mean, I, I think you know, you could you could potentially block a sword that only has a tip of dragon glass, you know. There's a lot more surface area to block, whereas right. if you have an entire blade made out of it, you're not blocking that thing. Right. You're going to take it to the face. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there are some logistic reasons maybe to, you know, spread your dragon glass thin. But I think they've got enough dragon glass to where making these weapons fully out of dragon glass is not a problem. It does seem like they're not That's saying... the story they're telling. Uh, I mean, they had the line where Ginner says, this is all precious, we need every bit we can get, but no one since then has said, like, oh, damn, we're not going to be able to yeah, give every we're man... we're falling short here. Yeah. Every, every man and sturdy lad mm. and lass a dragon glass spear or axe or whatever. So it doesn't seem like... You know, and again, Game of Thrones, that's one of the things that drives me nuts is they don't... They, they're not great at this, like, like, logistics and selling it, but, like, they're giving us the idea that 
it's not going to be for want of dragon glass that the realms of men fall yeah so i'm with you um noel a why the emphasis on people not welcoming a sandy and gray worm it seems to be because they're people of color but i don't see the dothraki getting the same treatment um hmm. have we seen the dothraki that's true maybe the dothraki like, on their horses would be like man he's fucking white folk god damn yeah. uh i think that it's this is a north rejecting outsiders thing more than uh these people have darker skin than us and we're like the north just distressed all outsiders but they they've shown such a strong example of that in Danny that I don't know that showing it with Missandei and Grey Worm makes a lot of sense. It's just more like that you're supposed to understand that this is not a place that the the, the displaced the the people of Essos can like call home. Yeah, like yeah. they're going to have to find maybe they're like Dorne, <laughs> uh, but but they're you know this this uh, and and it's. Uh, Seeing the North in the middle of winter is not its best, uh, is, is not showing off its best side, you know? That's fair. Yeah. But I don't know. I took it like, uh, I took it more of them just feeling the eyes of everyone staring at them, not because of like, uh, uh, um, not because of like the race or the skin color, mm-hmm. but uh, it could be because of class, because, you know, slaves are anathema to Westeros. And if they know like this is a slave army and this is a slave train, like that might freak them out too. But um, yeah, I mean, I I definitely read into it like the race thing, the the skin color thing. But I I suppose it's not plain. Uh, Jessica T. I wish more was explained of why Tyrion was making such big mistakes recently. Like at least if Jorah had mentioned how much it must have affected Tyrion being almost destroyed by his own sister and father, and subsequently murdering his father. There's plenty there psychologically to deal with, and honestly, it's the only good reason for Tyrion, who's supposed to be one of the cleverest people in the show, to behave so out of character. Um. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is like, I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe they, I felt like they could have made a bigger deal out about of Dan, of uh, Tyrion giving up drink or like moderating his drink. Like that could have been a turning point in his character. Like, yeah. Oh, uh, I my feeling sorry for myself has allowed me to crawl in this bottle, and I have like dulled my senses, and I have given my queen bad advice, and like have that kind of like redemption arc that he's like a, it's almost like a substance abuse type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but they really haven't done that, so I don't know. He's got he's just making he's just making mistakes. Uh, I was really hoping Brienne or Bran would have told Danny and everyone else that Jamie was actually a hero to everyone and saved the people of King's Landing when he killed the Mad King. But maybe that was too, too big of a bombshell to drop in front of everyone. I mean, I think it's a risky play. Yeah, Danny, in front like of a potential Mad Queen, <laughs> right? And it's also from the brother of the. You know, it's. I, I feel like Bran actually, for as weird as he's being, did a pretty pretty good job of. Uh, of, of of handling that and not overplaying it yeah um also interesting that danny's first thought isn't oh my god you're my nephew when john told her about their familial connection but rather that he's now rival to reclaiming the throne targaryen's gonna targaryen mm-hmm. like if you look at fire and blood one of the interesting things is that the Tar- targaryens actually lobbied quote-unquote the faith of the seven to carve a targaryen exemption into the laws against incest and they actually hired preachers to preach the story of like, well, sure, the seven made both the lion and the bull, but you wouldn't expect the lion to eat grass. They're just a different type of animal. And these Targaryens, look at them. They got fucking purple eyes and they ride dragons. You're going you're gonna to ask them not to fuck their sisters? And, and that, that became the law of the land. Mm-hmm. So I don't think, I don't, I, I don't even know if Danny, like, I mean, is it not obvious in season one that Viserion was, was going to start fucking Danny if he didn't give her away the uh, Drogo? Like, that's just how mm-hmm. Targaryens do. 
Yeah. Like, like the first several generations of Targaryens are just brother sister fucking. So, um, that's actually a point we made in Gods of Thrones. That's one of the reasons the Targaryens are so belligerent. Like any other king would have like not had to win the entire continent by conquest. They could have like started, hey, I got two hot sisters, married you off to the Baratheons, married you off to Lannisters. Bam, I got half the seven kingdoms already. Didn't even have to get my dragons out. But no, they had to do everything through fire and blood because they would not mm. do that. And it really handicapped them politically for centuries. Huh. Uh, okay, moving on to Michael S., I'm a little confused about something. John says in the most recent episode that the army of the living can't beat the dead in a regular battle. But during the episode in the Dragon Pit last season, it's mentioned that the Night's King army is around 100,000. During the latest episode, Tyrion says Winterfell has the largest army the world has ever seen. Let's be conservative and look back at Robert's Rebellion and say that Winterfell has about 60,000 fighting men. When John and his buddies were trapped in that frozen lake, they were killing whites seemingly 20 to 1, and they had primitive weapons and little to no armor. So how are they to underdogs in a battle against enemies with little armor that instantly die from one cut from dragon glass? But, but resurrect any troops they kill. Like, that's the, that's the turning point here. The, the thing that the whole battle hinges on is you just can't defeat them because every time they kill one of you, they gain another troop. I, like, you, would need, you would need a huge... Uh, I think you would need to kill more than 20 to 1. Yeah, every one you kill, or every one they k- kill of you is a plus one for their side now i do and a okay. negative one for you it's this yeah. double offset thing that just doesn't work in your favor um i do think that dragon glass is a little bit problematic because like with zombies like and i'm loath to defend the whole concept of zombie ecology and how like the world could fall under a zombie apocalypse but there's not like a magic zombie killing weapon that you just touch it and the zombies explode into dust, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's like uh, so if your if uh, your friend dies beside you and you start shambling to his feet, you just poke him again with the <laughs> with the dragon glass and he falls, right? Or he bursts the dust. If, like, if you're not already so concerned with the undead skeletons attacking you mm-hmm. from the front that you miss your buddy crawling up on you from behind. Plus the other thing is like you know, he goes on about this fortified position, but like in in real life, like uh, battles of antiquity if you could break an enemy's line uh mm-hmm. and and get uh around them and, and flank them like you could just melt them like butter yeah uh the problem is you had to send wave after wave of your own troops to kind of break that formation that but the and that was a problem because you could easily route living people like i'm not going to beat a hundred guy dying on his tip of this fucking sword fuck this i'm running um i feel like the dead don't have that problem they could just literally send ten thousand troops in a screaming column just aimed right at Winterfell and once you break that the uh, fortification then what they like that 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 flaming trench they got once you put a thousand bodies in that you can just walk over it like here's, here's the fucking thing with yeah. this trench uh-huh. this flaming trench when do you light up the trench when Davos gives a signal. <laughs> okay, when's Davos going to give that signal, you think? I don't know. That's... Is it going to be like as they're you know, starting to overwhelm the walls? I don't know. And, and in that case... As the Night King swoops down at the dragon the, to the, the godswood? The fucking Night King has nothing but time. Right. Time is on his fucking side. Dude, this is why I he said... He can wait out a fire, which will eventually go out. I hate to tell you, there's not a lot of uh, burning materials right. around Winterfell right now. Right. So you just... You know, sit back for He's a day, a, wait for that fire to go out, and month, then charge. Or a like exactly he, the army exactly of the dead doesn't point. have to eat. Yeah, I, so that's why I, that's they, why. They, siege warfare is is on their side. Like yes, there are so many tactics that they could use that would just fuck the living. Right, which is, they have no defense. Against. Which is why I wish they had let a little us a little bit more inside of what the actual plan was, because these are all great questions that 
you know, we're just going to grasp at. And, and hopefully they've thought about it. And, you know, if nothing else, it'll be spectacle next episode. Yeah, so. we'll see. I, I hope it's a good one. I hope it makes uh, strategic sense. Yeah. Everybody's maneuvers. Duncan G says, remember on the boat before the sex when John called her Danny and she said only her brother, the, her family, the only person at that point with a better claim to the throne than her, called her that. Then John calls her again in the crypts. Why? Did the writers forget about the boat or was it there a point of him calling her that during that conversation? Could have been. I actually think that's a smart callback. Like, yeah. I don't think Danny said, don't ever call me Danny again. It's like the only one's ever called me that is my brother who was my family. And all. like everything you said makes it smart for Dan- John to do that because he continues to be her family and the rightful heir to the, the throne. Mm-hmm. So like they're like building those like little, you know, uh, subtle connections, I think are, are great. So I think you cracked the case there, Duncan. Uh, Jamie H. My husband pointed out that it's pretty clear after the episode what Podrick did to those ladies in King's Landing. He just simply serenaded them with his guitar and catalog of four so- the four songs that exist in Westeros while they sat around him in circle making right. heart eyes. Yeah. Pod the rod indeed. It'd be funny if he's just actually just a crooner. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why he got, he got tipped in all that gold. <laughs> we were wrong. We were wrong. Uh, also, I may be wrong here, but is this the first episode in the entire series where no one's died? Not a red shirt, not a background character, not even a dire wolf. I've recently been checking out the Beautiful Death Illustration series by Robert N. Ball, which you should Google and check that out because it's mm-hmm. pretty fucking fantastic. And they managed to depict the death from each episode of the series. If I'm correct about the lack of death, I'm not sure what they'll depict for this episode. Perhaps Arya's virginity? Oh, Jamie. <laughs> Uh, I actually, I thought you were right on this. So I did a little bit of research and I found a site called deathtimeline.com, which kept track of all the deaths ever on Game of Thrones and showed the timestamp it happened. Lunatics. The face, I, all I this love stuff. these people on the internet, but also, my God. They're terrifying. Um, and I found that, uh, and this thing's only maintained through, episodes, through season six. They stopped doing it in season seven for some reason. But I found that there was four episodes in the first six seasons that had no deaths. Uh, episode 103, Lord Snow. Uh, episode 301, Valor Doheris. 307, The Bear and the Maiden Fair. And 406, The Laws of God and Men. So uh, I'm not sure what they did for a beautiful death uh, on the episodes where no one died. But um, I don't know. Uh, but but it's it's not been a first for Game of Thrones. It's a very rare. Like, isn't that amazing? In 69 yeah. episodes, only four have not included a single death. I can't think of another show. Maybe Walking Dead? Yeah, that, that was the first one that sprung to mind. But even then, not that many people died in later seasons of Walking Dead all the time. Yeah. It, I, I'd be interested to see the death count in Walking Dead versus this. Because I bet they're probably similar. Well, 97% of the entire world died in The Walking Dead, Jim. I don't Oh, well, on-screen deaths. Okay. Yeah. Ah, okay. Uh, Allie M. Because it's implied that all of these uh, Night King's forces have died at one point or another. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It's a lot of dudes. Uh, Allie M. After seeing Arya's new weapon, I feel pretty confident that her ultimate goal is to kill the Night King personally, on mm-hmm. her own. Since season one, we've been hearing her talk about the God of Death, Valor Morghulis, All Men Must Die, all that stuff. But this simply isn't the case for the Night King and his army. Escaping the inevitable death for the thousands of men in the undead army would m- undoubtedly anger the many-faced god. The only way for the god of death to get the man or men that he is owed is to kill the Night King, who is responsible for turning thousands of whites and the rest of the White Walkers. So the House of Black and White has a vested interest in the House of or in the Wars of Westeros, which is why they train Arya to be a faceless man and set her loose in Westeros. Um, what do you think of this for a the Arya's arc has been to 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 
write the cosmic spreadsheet of death and life by killing the uh, the the night king actually like it thematically hmm. I, I don't know i'd have to think on that one she's like the chosen one of the night uh, of the faceless men to to bring like restore order she's like the like a i don't know some thanos figure she's gonna snap her spear and i don't know like i said fill spill fill the spreadsheet out turn it black from red <laughs> could be it's a good theory i like it i can't can't think of anything to argue against it uh janine s i think danny's going to struggle mightily with this idea that someone else could legitimately take the throne notice how she and jamie both have come to terms with the fact that they will fight for their families even though they know how unbalanced and horrible some of their family members and actions are there's a contrast of someone who has been brought up to seek power, Danny, and someone who has never really wanted power but has been placed in leadership roles, John. Excess tends to run rampant in those people who think they're entitled to power, such as Robert, Eris, Cersei. Need I continue? Then there are people like Stannis, Davos, and John who find themselves in roles they don't want to care, but carry out so well. Remember Tywin's words to Joffrey, if you have to say, I am king, are you really? Uh, yeah, Janine, I like I said, I've... In the last two episodes, I'm increasingly worried about what they're going to do with Danny because her arc is not a person who's learning from her mistakes and learning from the w different ways you can inspire loyalty in other people. It's it's a story of a person who's kind of like borderline jealous and sullen and resentful for other people getting the limelight and other people getting the... And yeah, she loves John and she likes having sex with him, but she likes the Iron Throne a lot more, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, I suppose this could be, you know, the final straw for her power seeking back but then again that doesn't feel it doesn't quite feel right to me either um that you would just have this big moment that changes everything although you know the the love of john is mixed up in there and who knows who knows it's it's i, I think like that as i said i think in after the first episode that is the central theme of this final season is just figuring out who the hell is supposed to be queen and supposed to be king here and i don't mean that from like a birthright kind of thing i just mean that from a what makes sense for the realm kind of thing and honestly at that point i throw all these claims out the window and i think mm -hmm. john does too like like i said before i think john he has to struggle with this concept that he would be a rightful king and yet he has also pledged himself to danny mm -hmm. because he did that and and he he is prepared to face the consequences of that as evidenced by telling Cersei, no, actually, I can't uh, forsake my queen who I've pledged myself to. And, and screwing the entire realm, if that's what it means. Yeah. He's too loyal, too honest, maybe for his own good sometimes. I think that's how it's going to shake out. John's going to say, look, I don't actually want this. I've already pledged myself to you. Take it. Like, you, you, you have put so much work into this and you actually want this leadership position, it's yours. Uh, moving on to Tom M. Game of Thrones does a good job of making the super cute actress Hannah Murray look homely as Gilly, but in this episode I think they were hinting at a possible pregnancy. I thought she looked heavy and even moved as if she is pregnant. Uh, I realized... Yeah, no, it, that's the first thing I thought, and when my girlfriend saw it for the first time, she said, is she pregnant? Okay. Yeah, and, and I, th I don't know if it's like, oh, the actress herself might be pregnant or they're trying to go for this thing where Sam actually has, you know, a biological child with her somehow or like, I, I don't know what they're going for um, or if they're simply trying to cover up an actress who's pregnant. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely noticed that. Um, okay, I'm wondering, yeah, I don't know. 
I just looked up and tried to find like everyone's asking this question, but uh, yeah. I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> what you sh- what you should do, Tom, is you should go up to Gilly, say when you expecting, and put your hands on yeah. her belly because all women love that. And when you get slapped, don't be surprised <laughs> or get ran through by dragon glass. Yeah. Um, okay, Josh L. In Game of Thrones' illustrious eight season history, I think one of its wonderful features is its pre battle conversation scenes. Whether it's Varys almost telling his origin story to Tyrion before Blackwater, Sansa kissing Joffrey's new sword and promising to pray for his and Tyrion's return, Aemon remembering his lost love, and Davos and Tormund discussing pre-fight rituals. The show is often shined as characters prepared for combat. And now we have an entire episode devoted to these conversations. And it was glorious. Mm -hmm. One of the show's best. Kudos to Brian Cogman. He said the episode is a love letter to the characters. I feel like the creators often use that line, but here it felt more true than it almost ever has. I totally agree with that. This was a love letter to the characters. Uh, I think chief among those scenes is the extended fireside chat between six of our beloved characters. About the time Davos and Tormund walked in, I was reminded of one of Tyrion's better Miranine scenes from season six, where he talked about his dream of opening a vineyard, making the imps delight, and sharing it amongst all of his friends. Mm-hmm. If Tyrion doesn't make it, or most of his friends don't, I'm glad we at least got this fun little scene. Uh, I also want to shout out Ramin Jawadi throwing out all the callbacks, playing a version of It's Always Summer Under the Sea as Davos sees a little girl with the burn on her face. Maybe an obvious attempt to tug at her emotions, but it worked on me. That's the one sung by Sebastian, right? <laughs> yes. It's okay. always hotter under the water. You, right. know, you know how it yeah, goes. Yeah. Uh, I know, I know, I know. Uh, as did the Wall Night's Watch music theme as its final members stand watch on yet another wall awaiting for the White Walkers to come. No, I... These first two episodes have been very heavy on nostalgia, and rightfully so. That's how you, that's how you reap the most amount of emotional devastation on on a, on a traumatized audience. Is you remember, you make them remember why you love them from the beginning and uh, before you kill them. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And and it's a testament to the show that they can actually do that, right? Because it's something like Walking Dead tried so many times and failed so many times to do because they wouldn't actually make you love the character. Before they said, "Hey, remember why you love the character," and then no, kill them, they would just be like, <laughs> "Yeah, they, they would just say, hey, maybe maybe here's why you should love the character.' Yeah. Oh, they're dead. Yeah. Too late. Uh, th- this show has done the a great job of saying, of of making us love characters and then telling us why we love them, and then now a bunch of them are going to get the axe. Yep, yep. Um, so we'll look forward to that. Um, <laughs> Frank M., I was wondering what happened to Edmund Tully, the Blackfish. Will they bring him back? Now, if you recall, the Blackfish was last seen uh, refusing to retreat from Riverrun, his ancestral home, and preferring to to die defending it to Lannister forces, but we didn't actually see him die. We just heard the report. I mean, there is a truism that if you don't see people die on Game of Thrones, then they probably are not 100% down for the count, but we are in Season 8. We are we are thirty uh, percent of the way through season eight or thereabouts, um, not by runtime but episode count. What do you think the odds of the the Blackfish coming back and being relevant? I just don't see in what capacity. If he was still alive, wouldn't like you know Rob's been or not Rob? John's and Sans have been calling their banners, and everyone's coming to Winterfell. Like, shouldn't he have shown up? Like 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 Tormund said, he I would think so. Yeah, I guess he's down. Said the Riverlands are south, so there is a possibility um, for mm-hmm. for that. Like some people even, were even mentioning, uh, like maybe the Howland and Mira Reed would show up. Um, 
because they're they're south they're in the neck and then but i i don't know i i i to me it'd feel like uh It'd be like, what the fuck? Because a character that big, you would have to have, you'd have to give that moment. Uh, like, he couldn't just ride in stage left and kill a White Walker, like wink uh, at the camera and then ride off. Like they yeah. almost borderline did that with the, the with uh, John's uh, uncle, the Cold yeah. Hands character, Benjin. Yeah. Benjin. Like I, hi, like a like a thirty second scene of him. Like I, to me, that do more harm than good. I'm with you. So uh, yeah, I don't I don't see how, but I suppose it's not impossible. Uh, Stephen W., uh, shouldn't we see Craster's baby, the Night King, turned a few seasons back? What's that look like? A baby, toddler, child version of Wild Walker? He would be about the same age as little Sam. I'm going to let you feel this one because you're, you're obsessed with zombies. I'm creeped Dude, out by them. Uh, a three-year-old toddling in the ba- battle? Here's the weird thing to me mm-hmm. about all of the the night, uh, the White Walkers, the, the ones who actually ride the horses. They all look the same, but they don't look like the Night King. Right, the Night King has like the crown of ice or horns or yeah. whatever the hell he's got. The other White Walkers have these this long stringy hair. They're all basically the same looking. Got the wrinkly I, butthole faces. Right. I assume that these babies just grow up like insanely fast. Like mm-hmm. they're they're White Walkerified, and two days later, boom, here they right. are riding full grown on their horses with the long ass flowing hair. Why? Why do all the White Walkers look the same? Because they're all Craster's sons, and his seed is strong. Yeah. I just, just every single one ends up with a flowing mane of yeah of uh, white hair. No, I, I think obviously the Night King didn't look like the Night King until he had that obsidian shoved in his heart. Now, right. this is something I think everyone takes as gospel. Gospel that uh, not only is he White Walker Prime, but he's literally the progenitor of all other White Walkers. Like I don't. Yeah, pr- pretty safe assumption, I think. I but, mean, but why? Like, there's no. I mean, it could be that he was just a first, and the the children used uh, the obsidian on everybody else, and the, the, it's 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 all about how they work the spells and whatnot. Like, I think they're telling us visually that he is the progenitor of everything yeah. because the fucking crown I agree. of ice. I'm just being a little contrary. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but, uh, but yeah, I, I'm I'm just asking the question, like, why the hell do they all look the same except for the Night King? It must uh, the spell must like rework their genetics, obviously, because they're not human anymore. In some capacity, yeah, yeah. So, their hair. I mean, hair is like uh, the Weird. most important organ in the human body, right? Like, if you expect it <laughs> Mine to be changed, certainly is. <laughs> I would look weird if I didn't have hair. I think. Uh, let's see, Emily V. With regards to the conversation between Danny and Sansa, I know Sansa cares about John, etc., but the real question here is how Danny's going to function if and when she's achieved the one thing she spent her whole life trying to achieve, i.e., the Iron Throne. Mm-hmm. I think the conversation between Danny and Sansa would have been a good time for Sansa to press harder on the after. My feeling is that Danny's in for a major existential crisis, which was lightly touched back in Marine when she was embroiled in the nitty gritty of being a leader. How about a policy agenda for the wheel breaking? We're running out of episodes there, and I'm becoming more and more convinced that Danny's a paper tiger, despite her triumphs early in the series. I, I mean, think, I think Sansa tried. Yeah, it I was mean, interrupted. Like, they were interrupted. Yeah. yeah, like it's it's like I think Sansa was trying to go she for pushed. like the hard fucking sell. hard. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would have loved to see that conversation continue, but yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Like, Danny has been a lot better at the inspiration and conquest than she has been at the governance and ruling. Mm-hmm. So if that continues to be a challenge but I, I also don't know how for all the talk martin had about being unsatisfied with the way you know tolkien ended things like i i, I there's no way the double d's are going to do it better like you know like they it, <laughs> I, I mean i think the saving grace here is that the true climax of the series is not 
the White Walkers. Right. In my mind, the true climax is the battle between Cersei and the living. But 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 Danny's the... angst as a ruler on the throne is not going to be like what episode six is about, right? Like we're not going to yeah, get yeah. a full ninety I... minutes of Danny being like, no. oh, oh, running the seven kingdoms, my god. <laughs> it's so much harder than I thought. Yeah. Oh. I just want to go ride my dragon. Damn. Yeah. Tyrion, Varys, figure this shit out. She just jets. No. She I, could be just like a, so. a a blonder, shorter Bobby B in that regards. Mm-hmm. Instead of whoring and drinking, she just rides dragons. That's that's her bliss. That's her anti-drug. Okay, uh, Vincent P. Uh, what if Arya... Oh, jeez, Louise. What if Arya is pregnant with Gendry's baby and Gendry dies in the upcoming Battle of Winterfell? Could Arya's child make an eventual claim to the throne and challenge either Danny or Jon's <laughs> claim? I mean, Robert's seed is strong. Like, did they literally mean that? Like, the sperm are literally just like... Yeah, come, in, come get, go, go to, get over here, egg. I'm, I'm, get, I'm, I'm, I'm fertilizing you. Uh, just, just, just one shot, one pregnancy. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it would take a while. I know that much. So I'll give you the answer I give to everybody that likes the navel gaze about the claims of the throne. Anyone who can convince people with money and armies to support their, their claim has a claim to the throne. Yeah. That is strengthened. If you have like what this folk would call a conventional claim, but honestly, when the conventional claimant starts making trouble for the lords and ladies of the realm and the small folk, that lord gets dis- that that king gets displaced. So, um, yeah, he could, but like, my God, just a paper claim he's got is not real strong. He'd have to be legitimized before he would have any kind of claim at all. Uh, there would have to be no other bastards of Robert Baratheon out there. I think they actually did a good job of convincing me that they killed every single one of them that they knew about. So if there's other bastards out there, they probably don't know that they're bastards. So like there'd be a lot of mechanics that they would have to happen before he would even have a claim. They need to have to turn against John and Danny. They need to have to get a whole bunch of people to support this poorly educated, uh, poorly connected, poorly poor blacksmith on a, on on a, on a quest to take back the iron throne. Like unlikely, certainly not this season, maybe in the, uh, maybe in episode uh, seven, uh, not episode seven. I was, I was going for a Star Wars joke. Oh yeah, in the when, next part of the saga. Yeah, when when the dragons awaken comes mm-hmm. out, and we're twenty years in the future, and turns out Danny's just done a really shit job of running it, and and uh, Gendry has been trained poorly by Luke Skywalker, and he almost betrays him and kills him with a lightsaber, and it turns him evil. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. At that time, he's really getting pissed that people are still calling him an apprentice. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I've got a claim to the throne here. I'm a Jedi master, goddammit. What do you call me? All right. Let's move on to Ian B, rather. I keep hearing people, including you guys at times, complain about Tyrion trusting his sister and being a fool for it, even though other characters dragging for it. My question, what is he supposed to do differently? Let's play it out. He doesn't trust his sister, tells everyone not to trust her. They never go to King's Landing and try to convince her, and everyone remarks on how clever he is for not believing her. Now, what does this change? He and Danny and their armies would still be in the north with John preparing to face the dead. Cersei's armies would still not be coming. Not trusting Cersei doesn't change their course of action. He did all he could to make a bad situation better. Can you give me an alternative course he could have taken? I mean, the alternative course is he looks a hell of a lot smarter to the audience. Yes. Uh, I, I do... I do think they painted him as a fool, um, and that has consequences on how everyone views him, not just me. Uh, all the characters view him. Like, so, yeah, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't substantially change anything. No, like either way, Cersei's armies aren't coming, but like they got their hopes up. 
Um, and then he looked like an idiot when his brother showed up. So. Yeah, imagine like the Northerners. Uh, imagine the troops thinking like, oh, yeah, the Lannisters are going to come. And then the eve of battle, it turns out, nope, it's just Jamie. Like, I, I think you answered your own question. Tyrion does this differently by saying like, look, I don't trust my sister. You've got nothing. You got nothing to lose by accepting her terms because if she betrays us, she betrays us, and we're in no better spot. But like, let's not count on it. Mm-hmm. Versus, I vouch for my sister. She's got a baby in her belly, and she's got new religion, and she really loves everybody, and she wants to make sure the realms of man succeed. Like, again, one paints you out to be a fool; another point paints you out to be a, a realist. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, it, it's all about how you sell that to the the ruler. You know, like what confidence did you have and and he put it I mean he put it all in so uh MB and we're getting I think this is like only two or three left to go Tyrion needs to adjust and quickly Jim pointed out that once the death knell for characters on the show is that they stop learning and growing I think this episode spelled out how little Tyrion has grown since the beginning of the series every season he seems more and more out of place in his new world he keeps telling the same childish eunuchs jokes as always eunuchs jokes yeah he's eunuch uh, wait till he moves on to the Linux jokes. Every he keeps on the same eunuch jokes as always. He's told the same "How I'd Like to Die" story so many times that Jamie knows it now by heart. Mm-hmm. He keeps losing his battle of wits with his sister because he's overly focused on sticking it to his family rather than thinking about the big picture of this global war. Even worse, this episode took pains to show that he's more self-centered than ever. Jamie literally walks away from Tyrion's pity party, and Tyrion's too caught up in his own fantasy to notice. Uh, I mean. This is a damning portrait of the character of Tyrion. Yeah, and at the same time, I do think that character has changed. Um, he's become much more serious. You look at him uh, when he first delivered that line that Jamie quotes back at him this mm. episode. He was not a serious person at all. Um, no one took him seriously, including himself. At this point, he believes that he has some larger purpose or at least needs to be serious enough to carry out the wishes of his queen uh, to the point where he can't do the things that he used to do. I call that growth. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it, it may not be like as big of an arc as Jamie. You know, Jamie has completely changed as a human being fundamentally, but I still think it's there. Yeah. And I mean, that's a classic hero's arc is to have a place of comfort that you are pushed out of that you then have to go and master new challenges and new worlds. And then you come back to return as kind of a master of both worlds and you're able to conquer and and over and and achieve. So like Tyrion had a competence that was based in self-loathing and complicating feelings about his family and, you know, drunkenness and being distracted by whoring and all that stuff. Now you got a more mature Tyrion that... Uh, hopefully you'd master all that and, and have, uh, you know, conquest based like on intention and feelings of self-worth and, and wanting to better man rather than just, you know, like, so I, I think that's, that's the story they're trying to tell. And they've got, I mean, honestly, I think you're right that they have this next, they have this next episode to kind of get that in, in the gear. And I think, I think it, I, I'm expecting big things from Tyrion in the battle of uh, Winterfell. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to give it at least, another two because i think like there's still the battle of king's landing and that's maybe the most important uh role that Tyrion could play you're right and sort of redeeming himself right i looked like a fucking idiot when i trusted my sister now what can i do to get back to where i was before to be this clever person that i think of myself as uh that's a big opportunity for him so I'm, i'm gonna give it a couple more episodes if we get through like episode four and i'm not seeing signs of it i'm like no no Tyrion why you've become such a shadow of the man you once were right 
Uh, Dorian M. wants to know, where the hell was Varys this episode? Everyone's having their end-of-the-world moment, even Ghost and Princess Shireen via her doppelganger, but Varys is nowhere to be seen except for the meetings where his presence is required. Even mm-hmm. then, doesn't say much. This whole episode is about playing, or paying, rather, homage to characters that we've been with for the past seven seasons, and he's arguably the grand architect this entire thing. I thought it was weird not to hear from them. Should my spidey senses be tingling about what this means? Is he off meeting his little bird somewhere while everyone else is distracted? Or was this a scene that hit the cutting room floor in favor of Tormund's breastfeeding story? I say throw Varys into that crowd. That would have been even better. Yeah. Seeing Varys' reaction to that story, maybe even better than Davos. I I feel like that... So we know from the the preseason trailer that Varys is going to be down in the crypts with the civilians. Yeah. And we, we speculate on a preview podcast that like maybe he has like a Sansa type role where he's the one that kind of like uh, um, is able to calm everyone down and keep everybody chill and not panicking because that's really mm-hmm. important when you're dealing with these uh, helpless civilians. Um, or maybe he's going to have a crowning moment of badass where maybe he like Tyrion's going to be stuck down with him and they're going to come up with some grand plan to retake King's Landing because what else are you going to do when you're scared about dying? So I, I just think there's, it's, we're going to have a lot more Varys next episode, or at least I hope. That would actually make a lot of sense if, you know, Tyrion's headed down at the crypts, um, which he was told to whether he makes it there or not. I right. don't know. But yeah, if if they're going to get a lot of Varys next episode. Right. Don't put him in this one. Right. And my expect my also my the other thing you can say is my expectation is that everyone in Crips is going to survive unless mm-hmm. the season goes way different than I'm expecting. And Cersei turns out to be the unlikely hero of the story. <laughs> uh, everyone in Crips is going to survive, or at least the main part, which may mean that Varys is going to live to fight another day, which is not as important to give him moments to shine like it would be mm-hmm. for like people that might die, like Brienne or Davos or and Davos is another guy whose arc is done. Now that he's like made like like face down the ghost of Shireen. Yeah. Uh so like those people needed their last moments and needed mo- last moments of people that 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 were interested interested in him and connected to them and had history and maybe Varys gets his moment next next week and in the weeks to come. But uh otherwise, yeah, if he dies next episode with what few contributions he had this season, it'll be a damn shame. Finally, we have an insider, uh, the anonymous source from HBO, um, who is going to talk about why the titles have been so Go, mysterious this season. Going by the alias Double D's. Double D's. It's, it's, <laughs> you're right. It's, it's Dan and David. Yeah. Uh, they're, I don't know what. They're huge fans of our podcast. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, take this with a little bit of grain of salt. We've had several of these before, and they've mostly been legit, but there's been a memorable... A uh, fake or two. Mm-hmm. I can remember a really preposterous script from Breaking Bad that was presented as a as a leaked copy that we got. I don't think we got hornswoggled on. We no, had a lot of fun we were side eyeing that thing the whole time, but it was fun. Yeah. Uh, so so here's the tea that I'm about to, to spill. Uh, software engineers working on the media delivery team technically have access to both the uh, full episode video and the title on Thursdays, which is four days in advance. Oh, those motherfuckers. And they're not putting it on HBO now? Uh, however, watching it requires use of special credentials that are heavily logged, and it's generally discouraged from doing that unless it's literally your job to make sure the format and subtitles are being delivered correctly. Okay. Um, HBO then lo- uh, their Game of Thrones hits HBO Go and HBO Now at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time or 6 p.m. Pacific, so you can technically watch it three hours ahead of time on the West Coast. The Game of Thrones episode titles are intentionally scheduled to uncloak at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
uh, hours after the episode starts. This is a request specifically from the production crew of Game of Thrones and HBO has complied. Based on the titles of this week's episode, my guess as a fan is that they intend for this season's titles to be very literal or slash Easter egg filled and don't want them revealed until after the later episodes. I mean, how is Winterfell as the first episode intentionally? But this like Night of the Seven Kingdoms. There had been a lot of people betting that. Sure, sure, like, sure. Because it'd either be a Jamie redemption arc or perhaps like like there's only so many people that Night of the Seven Kingdoms can even refer to. So, um, yeah, I, but, I but if you're releasing it at nine when the thing comes out, like they there's don't. not a lot of time to speculate. I know they don't. Oh. I know they don't. Fuck me. I okay, know they okay, don't. Okay. I'm making these right. articles. I'm like, okay. where's the fucking right. name? For so, this the, thing? so they wait until the almost the, like the Pacific time is about to air before they release the, 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 huh. the titles so that the people in California don't have time to speculate. Uh, on what not. the title means. no one does until it's out so until all but of then America they've already got spoilers it. based on what the eastern right, time zone people have watched you got so HBO now they fucking know now you can like, none of this makes any sense like uh, put the name up when the episode first goes live i think hbo knows better who watches it through hbo go and hbo now and who watches it on cable and like you know what those numbers are and if the game of thrones team requested it there i must disagree be. i disagree i know better you do yeah all right brand you're plugged into the yeah. HBO network. <laughs> um, so if you, as you, he's, he also says, or he or she, I don't, I don't know. It's an anonymous source. Uh, you might remember from sep- episode seven, we didn't release the titles until Monday at nine o'clock in the morning. Again, at the request of production crew. Unfortunately, last year we had lots of leaks and most of the time IMDB, et cetera, would be displaying the titles earlier, sometimes even before the episode aired, which pretty much ruined the air of mystery and just made HBO look like we don't know our own episode titles. This year, we seem to be doing much better locking down those leaks. It still looks like you don't know your own episode <laughs> titles. Because um, when it says, oh, Game of Thrones episode 69, I'm like, yeah. what is happening over I at HBO? These, this is a clusterfuck. I don't understand the left. So I, this all actually makes perfect sense, and I'm glad they said it. And actually, the 9 o'clock makes more sense because then you're nodding to the whole rest of the world's watching Game of Thrones. But, like, if you're going to release it at 11 p.m., I don't understand why I don't release it at 9 p.m. Because presumably, and, and even the source says here, if you're a super fan and you have access to HBO Go or now, you're going to watch it as soon as it hits, whenever. So or like, if you have access and, to the and, internet, and, 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 you're already getting spoilers. By the time yeah. you're t- three hours later, you're able to even know the name of the episode. But, but like, I do understand that now that they've, they've talked about it, like, why they would want to keep the episode's titles under wraps until it airs. I just Absolutely. I guess, yeah, that yeah, yeah. I totally understand. Especially since next year, next week's going to be Brienne dies, boo-hoo. I mean, <laughs> if they drop that, like, the, the one where Brienne dies, like, you know, right. I, yeah. I, I, that's a huge spoiler. I mean, there's no, no two ways about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the Shortest Lived Night of the Seven Kingdoms is the next episode title. Uh, that's all the feedback we have for this week. If you'd like to send us more, you can do so at Game of Thrones at BaldMove.com because we are not done. We are not done with this episode 69 uh, the Night of the Seven Kingdoms, we have a spoiler edition that we're going to release uh, on Friday. Now, it's not spoiler in the sense of production spoilers. We don't traffic in that stuff. It's spoiler in the, di- in, in the sense that there's still a few details in the books that might be relevant to how this thing works out, even though we're actually past the books at this point. Uh, also, we talk about a lot of the lore questions, the stuff that like might be a little bit too inside ball for people who are not interested in the books or don't want to know at least what's on the, the, the Blu-ray special features of the Game of Thrones series. Uh, we're going to come back and do all that that coverage for Friday. And then we started all again uh, Sunday with the instant take and the instant talk and then the full podcast on Tuesdays. You know how it goes. 
Anyway, Game of Thrones at BaldMove.com if you'd like to send in feedback for any of these editions of the podcast. And you can also talk with our fellow fans at forums.baldmove.com. Lots of discussions happening there. Um, be careful. This episode leaked a couple days uh, or a full day early. Yeah, like five-ish hours I thought early. it was. I thought it was like late Saturday. But anyway. No, it was midday Sunday, I think. There, to this uh, HBO source's point, uh, one of the like the, the German affiliates of Amazon's leaked the episode like uh, early. So like be on your toes. Um, stay, you know, like uh, if you make it to the weekend, don't 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 do a bunch of heavy research at Game of Thrones, or at least don't do it on strange sources you're not familiar with. Mm-hmm. I tell you what, I'm so I'm pissed off on my cell phone because like I that, I've got the Google Assistant and it does all these cards and it, like based on my interest it like tells me things. It it literally gave like one of the biggest spoilers for Gods of, or for American Gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, like five minutes after the episode ended, like, like while I was still recording this one, it just popped up on my phone. Giant spoiler happened. Like, what the fuck? How is this? How is this what I want from you my Google first. Assistant? If you're not first, you're last. We need to teach the Google Assistant the concept of spoilers and mm-hmm. and spoiler tagging things. Uh, anyway, we'll be back Friday for for more Game of Thrones and throughout the week uh, for all of our other stuff. For Super Serious Film Fest, all that stuff is still raging on. Uh, but we'll see you when we see you. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. Later. <laughs>